genre. Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Nick Jimenez. I'm Scott Corelli. Today we are continuing our mini-series on the X-Men franchise with the conclusion of the first trilogy of X-Men films, 2006's X-Men The Last Stand. And we have a guest joining us to talk about Mutant Cures, Frasier Beasts, and Doing Cyclops Dirty. It's fellow podcaster and X3 Defender. Norman Mitchell. Hello. Thanks for being here, Norman. I'm glad to be here. I have some things to say about this movie that uh, are not necessarily popular. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's good. I think we all do. That's why you're here. (laughs) Hey, it's all love. Yeah. That's what Magneto always says. (laughs) (laughs) So, Norman, we've been starting it off this miniseries each episode, asking our guests what their background with X-Men as a property is. You know, did you grow up reading the comics or watching the cartoons? So my earliest memories of X-Men are definitely in the 90s cartoon. I'm like just the right age that that was kind of my first exposure to a lot of Marvel stuff was whatever Mm -hmm. happened to find its way into the X-Men and Spider-Man cartoons. But I also had a bunch of random uncanny X-Men comics as a kid. I couldn't tell you Mm -hmm. anything about them now, but there was a stack of like 15 or 20 of them that my older brothers had bought at some point when they were younger. And then just I just wound up with them. Just a smattering of comic books. But I remember that most of them were like uncanny X-Men stuff. And then aside from that, I sometimes would read comics, usually only like when someone else recommended it to me or had it and I would borrow it and read it as a kid. But primarily, my love of the X-Men is a love of the 90s cartoon. And my favorite part of one particular saga, the Phoenix saga that happens in the cartoon that I was always sad never made it into this movie was the Shi'ar. I love all the Shi'ar stuff. And I wish that we had gone to space with these characters. Yeah. I am. I'm sure Nick has lots to say about the Shia. Yeah, listeners. I uh, I, I read Norman. I read the Dark Phoenix Saga by Chris Claremont and John Byrne for the very first time this week to get ready for the show. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I have a yeah. trade of that somewhere around here. I also read a fair amount of Gifted mm-hmm. by Joss Whedon and John Cassidy, but I was not able to finish it by recording time. Mm. Yeah, you've read it before. Yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. So. so what about when these movies first started coming out? I remember being really excited. I saw all three of these movies, I think, sometime in the first couple weeks they were in theaters. A friend mm-hmm. of mine that was also like really into all this sort of stuff that was just kind of for nerds at the time, his birthday was always around the time that these big movies came out. So we always went to the movies on his birthday to go see like superhero or fantasy movies and stuff. And I remember seeing all three of these movies with him. And then what about X3? Uh, <laughs> you know, rolling into X3, what were your sort of expectations of it? And then what did you think walking out? So I remember being like really hype at the end of X2. They show that silhouette under the water. And I was just like, oh, my God, they're going to do the Phoenix for the third one. Like, of course they are. Look at that tease. 
And then I remember watching this movie and like, I enjoy a lot about this movie, but I think that calling it the Phoenix was the biggest mistake this movie made <laughs> in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. And it's always the thing that I'm always just like, why did they do that? They should have just, if this is the movie they wanted to make, just make this movie and, and leave the Phoenix out of it. <laughs> but I really liked this movie at the time. I will say now that I've just freshly rewatched it, there are things that I don't like about it now that I used to like mm-hmm. gloss over and kind of forgive more. But now I watch it and I'm just like, oh, that's kind of sloppy. But I still like this movie. I enjoyed it quite a bit watching it today before doing this. Oh, nice. I think Kelsey Grammer was just kind of awesome casting. I love him in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember loving it at the time. Like when they announced Kelsey Grammer was going to be Beast, I was like, oh, that's really cool. I like that. Hugh Jackman has just fully become the star of the movie at this point. <laughs> As he just did with this franchise. It's just, it's the Hugh Jackman show. To the detriment anyone, of uh, yeah. somebody else in this movie. <laughs> I uh, remember being disappointed sure. by that, the Cyclops thing. Just like, oh, poor Scott Summers. Yeah, although having just rewatched, and I'm sure we'll talk more about it when we get to that point in the movie. Now that we've rewatched all three movies that he is prominently featured in, yeah. I think we just realized that, like, this whole series did him dirty. It wasn't just this movie. Absolutely. Yeah, no. It wasn't just this movie. He's just a douchebag in these movies. He's just this straight-laced kind of douchebag. And it just yeah. doesn't do the character of Scott Summers any favors, because there's a lot more to him, like in the comics and the cartoon. His screen time in 2 and 3 aren't that different. No, no. not really. He looks a lot cooler in 2, though. Yeah, they really nailed him, too. <laughs> I also remember being disappointed that there was no Nightcrawler in this movie, because I really like Nightcrawler yes. in X2. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that was what it was for me. I remember coming into this and being really excited about Frasier being sure. Beast. Beast, my favorite X-Men, finally going to be on this on screen and they like cast Frasier and I was like that makes so much sense. It's That's, almost too yeah. perfect. It's almost too perfect. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I watched the movie and, you know, leading up to it, there was all of that stuff and I'm sure we're going to get into it. But there was all of that internet stuff about like the script getting leaked and like the fact that Brian Singer wasn't back and we didn't know that he was a terrible person at the time. So we yeah. were disappointed that he wasn't back. Super, the whole Superman Returns thing, mm-hmm. all of that leading to Brett Ratner, the Rush Hour guy, who, again, we didn't know was a terrible person at the time, just that he had made Rush Hour and oh. seemed like an odd choice for this. And Red Dragon. Yes, that's right. Oh, I remember really liking that movie and I've tried to watch Red Dragon since. been like, oh, why did I like this movie? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's it's a rough time. Um it's got Edward Norton in a blonde wig. He sure does. Yeah. Um, I guess. <laughs> so so it's it, I remember it just had a really a lot of trouble from the internet's perspective in baggage. terms of like yeah, a lot of baggage. Yeah. So I went into it and I was like, Oh, that was watchable. I guess I liked that. This was one mm. of the first movies I ever reviewed on a podcast. Two Geeks and a Mic? Yeah, Two Geeks and a Mic in a Podcast, my very first podcast which I started in 2005, this and Superman Returns were like two of my very first reviews yeah. I ever did. Superman Returns is the first time I ever downloaded Scott's podcast and like, I was yeah. like, oh, who's this guy? First time he ever heard my voice. First time I ever heard his voice. Also. Yeah. <laughs> was me talking about uh, Brian Singer's Superman Returns. But yeah, so I remember thinking like, yeah, that was fine. And then every time I've watched it since, I like it less. And uh, that didn't change this time. So... <laughs> 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 well, well, we'll we'll talk about it, Nick. What do you what do you remember about seeing this for the first time? Oh man! So, listeners, to go back to X Men Two, the ending of that movie left me so hyped and mm-hmm. emotional yeah. as a kid. Just the image of Pyro flying away with the Brotherhood 
And then Bobby and Rogue being like, where's Pyro? Where's John? That was like, oh, that's going to be so rich and cool when we get back to that. Yeah. <laughs> Friends on, on opposite sides. Like, what's going to, is he, is he going to turn good? Is he going to get redeemed? Is he, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and like Gene dying. And that was so emotional as a kid. The acting in that, I was like, whoa, this is like a real movie. This is great. And the conversation that we had with Billy and Dagny last week, I thought Scott made some really good points as to why that works in the moment, maybe. But these characters have been so underserved from the jump yeah, yeah. that they don't have a lot of buildup compared to when you look at like, you know, going into Rise of Skywalker, going into At World's End, all these like emotional like threads that have to be settled. Right. You know, you're like, oh, okay, okay, yeah. But I was so hyped for this movie. Yeah. It was a really golden era because I I knew Spider-Man 3 was coming out next summer. And I was so hyped for that, too. But this was like the end. It's called The Last Stand. Yeah. So going into it, I was like, oh, this is going to be the culmination of my first superhero saga. Yeah. But I would get used to this feeling later on as I would watch these movies. But like being entertained... Mm-hmm. And like, wow, that was a lot of fun. And it was like a fun time at the movies. And I remember our audience reacting a lot to the big stuff, yeah. but also being like really disappointed by a lot of it. Yeah. I don't think that's how I, it was supposed to end. A lot yeah. of it felt like, wait, why did Cyclops die like that? Or why did this happen? Why did that happen? Yeah. And uh, we'll learn a little bit about it today on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In retrospect, it really is interesting that Brian Singer allowed X2 to end on the Phoenix tease. Because he was so adamantly anti anything comic booky and thought comic books were for kids and it was stupid and like this is gonna be we're gonna take that those concepts and ground them and make them real yeah. and then he's like but yeah we're gonna tease that one of them can resurrect themselves yeah. as like this cosmic being I wonder it's if like, that what? was I wonder if that was more like Tom DeSanto <laughs> yeah being the X-Men super fan being sure. like you know what would make them lose their minds Brian if, yeah if, if you were to do that yeah and I kind of have some insight onto that if we want to head into yeah the do it. stuff so Singer left the X-Men franchise specifically X-Men 3 in uh, July of 2004 mm-hmm. to do Superman Returns. And I remember when this happened because he left, if I, if I remember correctly, he left under the assumption that they would wait. Okay. That he would do Superman and he would come back and do X-Men 3. Okay. So yeah. there was uh, something that I'm weirdly going to be using a lot as a resource this episode mm-hmm. is uh, there was a script leak that happened on Ain't It Cool News. Yeah. In in 2005. And uh, in that article, Moriarty, also known as Drew McWeeny, does a lot of speculation, I assume a speculation, about animosity between Tom Rothman Mm. at Fox and Brian Singer. Okay. He was doing this weird thing where he was like talking at Tom Rothman. You know how these internet journalists used to do it? Yeah, right. He's like, face it, Tom, you lost Brian Singer because you were dicking around with X-Men 3. And then you lost and he went over to Warner Brothers to shoot Superman. Uh-huh. So it sounds like there was speculation that there was like a lot of contention okay. between them. Okay. Okay. Interesting. In fact, because back then there was like, you would point the finger at like the suit. Right. Of course. Yeah. Always. Always. Do you have anything on that in terms of what Tom Rothman's issues were you with, know, with the previous films? We talked about it a lot with Wally in, in the first episode of... These were seen as how can we take these comic book things and turn them into real movies? Right. Whereas we had someone like Kevin Feige, Norman, who was like an associate producer yeah. on these movies, kind of like low on the pecking order, been like, hey, guys, you know, there's some cool stuff in here if we just literally adapt it. 
Yeah. Right? This it, is what people want to see. Like, yeah, yeah let's do that. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, I don't know whether to characterize Tom Rothman as a villain. <laughs> sure. Or not a nerd. Sure. I don't have any details on shenanigans. Not the way that I have on the fucking director. Yeah, sure. Of but, course. you yes. know. Joyce C. made her like, ah, like if you would just get out of the way and adapt these properties. Right. So, and then, you know, you have someone like Kevin Feige and the people at Marvel who are kind of doing that, but like yeah. remixing it. Yeah. I yeah. mean, Rothman is a legendary force in studio filmmaking okay. in terms of being bullheaded mm-hmm. and like only wanting things his way and it, he knows best. Got it. He's like one of those guys. So, yeah, it's, that doesn't surprise me. At the time of his departure, Singer said that he uh, didn't really have as deep of a plan for X-Men 3, where Superman Returns was this fully realized project in his mind. Uh, I didn't do a ton of research into, like, Superman Returns. Sure. Like, why would you? <laughs> where that yeah. came from? Yeah, sure. Although, interestingly, he said that uh, there was a script treatment that he left behind that was written by Dan Harris and Michael Doherty, yeah. who wrote X-Men 2. And in that, it was characterized as focusing on Gene's resurrection. Mm-hmm. And it ending in kind of like a 2001 Star Child place. Whoa! What? What? What's that reference? I'm not sure. Two thousand one. Two thousand one. Oh, two thousand one. Space Odyssey. Odyssey. Just yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh no, you're good. The Star Child at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Space baby. My space brain baby. just did not connect the word Star Child to two thousand one Space Odyssey. <laughs> oh no, for oh, yeah. sure. It's like a, I don't even think they call it that in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't what? know if there's any dialogue in the movie after that point at all. No. <laughs> no. Just vibes. Just yeah. That movie's like. 85 percent vibes i saw that movie in a philosophy class and i don't think i've watched it since uh. <laughs> it's like on one of those like black rolly tvs with the yeah, yeah. Strap down. Mm-hmm. uh one interesting note the script would have introduced emma frost did i bring this up last week that i was like that's what it's missing that's what the the dynamic between scott gene and logan was missing is the emma frost energy the character to come in and be like no but i like him like, I like oh, the Cyclops. Em- the Emma Frost that's ungifted. The Emma Frost that's like, no, I think it's cute that he's so straight-laced. Right? I'm going to mess with that's him. That's what's yeah. great about Emma Frost. Like, she, yeah. she's the bad girl that always knows what she wants, and she's just like, I'm, I'm going to take it. Are you yeah. going to stop me? No. Like, the idea of, like, Emma Frost and Wolverine being, like, buddy-buddy in a way of, like, hey, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. I'm going to take Scott so that you can get Gene, right. and we'll like help each other out. Like I, I yeah. think that that would have been that would have added a fun dynamic. Yeah, they can they can be like lightly antagonistic, but also kind of working towards each other's best interests there. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and those are some yeah. of the best moments in the first two movies. It's honestly all of James Marsden's good stuff. Yes, is him working off of of Logan and Gene. Yes, and also having read now. Uh, Emma Frost is featured prominently in the early part of the Dark Phoenix saga mm-hmm. and Gifted. Yes. And yes. so, like, her being there makes a lot of sense. And yeah. uh, they, the screenwriters wanted her to be played by Sigourney Weaver. Whoa! Wow. <laughs> that is a choice. Interesting. Okay. All right. How much older than James Marston and, and Famke Jensen is she? I think at the time Sigourney Weaver was Galaxy Quest age, so like yeah. 50s, 60s. Yeah. No, no. She would have been late 40s, early 50s, But I like would say. Somewhere between, like, 15 and 20 years older than Famke yeah. Jensen is. She said it last week, Scott, where they keep casting people too old. Yes. You know. Yes. Would she have been in like the Kelsey Grammer generation? Oh, sure. Of mutants. Okay. Mm. Yeah. That makes sense. But nevertheless, uh, the hunt was on for a new X-Men director. Part of Hugh Jackman's contract that he re-upped for this movie was uh, director approval. Mm-hmm. And the first guy that he went after was a director and noted scarf wearer, Darren Aronofsky, who had just directed Hugh Jackman <sighs> in The Fountain. That would have been... 
a cool choice. We definitely would have gotten that Star Child ending, I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and Jackman would try again to get Aronofsky into the franchise later on uh, to direct the Wolverine. But that wouldn't pan out either. But that's another story for another day, listeners. <laughs> yes, it is. And it's my story to tell. <laughs> that's true. Uh, <laughs> Joss Whedon was approached once again to help out with the X-Men franchise. That would certainly borrow a lot from his astonishing X-Men run in the movie. But Joss Whedon was busy. He was working on Wonder Woman at the time. That celebrated Wonder Woman script that leaked that everyone, everyone loved. Right. Did you ever read that? Did I? I don't know. I don't think I did either. I don't know why I'm hating on it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just... <laughs> You just heard people shitting on it. <laughs> Alex Proyas was approached, but I remember that. Yeah. yeah. God, all of these people are so much more interesting <laughs> so, than where they ended up. So apparently Alex Proyas had a hell of a time working with Tom Rothman during iRobot. Right. Alex Proyas, iRobot. Dark City. Dark City and The Crow. Yeah. Oh, yes. Wow. Okay. I haven't thought about the movie Dark yeah. City in forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like right before The Matrix. Yeah. yeah, Dark City came out. That's a wild movie. Yeah, and yeah, that kind of goes into what you were saying earlier about Tom Rothman being this kind of noted bullheaded. You know, so Alex Porras was like, "Fuck no," and yeah. that's something that Drew McWeeny, as he's like taunting Tom Rothman from this blog post of like, "You lost Alex Porras, you fucked up Alien and Predator. No one wants to work with you. You fuck your shit's whack, Tom Rothman." <laughs> yeah, Zack Snyder was approached, but he was focused on getting three hundred made, and he was like, "I just want to get my three hundred movie made." Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just going down the list. And at the very bottom of that list was Matthew Vaughn. <laughs> Guys, we still haven't hit the bottom. I just... <laughs> was Matthew Vaughn directed? At the very bottom of that list. And yeah. then on the floor in a, in a crumpled piece of paper. In a corner. <laughs> it, that missed the trash. Rhett Ratner. <laughs> so in February of 2005, it was announced that Matthew Vaughn would be directing X-Men 3 with a May 5th, 2006 release date. Yes. Um, scratch that. On, on, on February 2005, the movie was announced with the release date with no director. Okay. And then a month later, Matthew Vaughn was announced. Great. From, wait, <laughs> love, love having a date for a movie that doesn't have a director yet. That's, That's amazing. We're just over a year away. Yeah. Yeah. And then the movie was pushed back to Memorial Day, where it would ultimately come out. Vaughn's uh, imprint on the movie was not unnoted. The casting of Kelsey Grammer as Beast, that was Matthew Vaughn. Mm. The casting of Vinnie Jones, who had, had been in a couple of Matthew Vaughn movies as Juggernaut, that was Matthew Vaughn. What else has Matthew Vaughn directed? Uh, he directed Stardust. Right, and Layer Cake. Oh, I love Layer Cake. Yeah, yeah. but he produced all of the, the Guy Ritchie uh, Guy movies. movies. Mm. So Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, Snatch. But at the time, it was like he wasn't really tested as a director yet. He would go on to make like the Secret Service movies. And Kick-Ass. X-Men First Class. The X-Men First Class, yeah. So he comes back around. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, and then also, not for nothing, but uh, the casting of Dana Ramirez Castillo. Mm-hmm. as the mutant who can tell what other mutants power levels are and also run fast and run not fast enough what do yeah. those have to do with each other <laughs> i don't know i don't know norman well that's the thing i'll okay, get into we'll, we'll it get to i have it. a lot of questions we'll get to it so <laughs> in june in june of 2005 so less than a year a variety announced that vaughn is out the rat is in yes vaughn had mixed feelings about uprooting his family uh-huh I assume he was living in England at the time. Sure. But uh, privately, he was uncomfortable with the scope of the project and uh, the release date. Yeah. Fair. <laughs> Fair. He hadn't, he hadn't made a lot of movies yet. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's an insane thing to do. And unlike Marvel Studios, who does that shit all the time, 
I can't imagine that Tom Rothman and the Fox people had a safety net set up for these newbie directors. You know, a lot of directors have had their second films made at Marvel Studios, but they have like a lot of training wheels everywhere. Yeah, they like, built a real them. support network to get the movies right. made they want made. Right, right. Whereas like back then, he was on his own. <laughs> and if he hasn't directed a movie that big, I mean, yeah, it would be nuts. Sure. I mean, yeah. it, it's become such a machine at the Marvel, the MCU machine. Yes. That to go back to this period where there were just tentpole movies. Yes. Yeah, it is really interesting. Yeah. Under Vaughn's supervision, Simon Kinberg and Zach Penn were hired to write the screenplay. Simon Kinberg, writer of Fantastic Four and Elektra. Uh, and Simon Kinberg, we're going to bringing him up a lot going forward. Yeah. Uh, and Simon that, Kinberg, he's going to go full circle with this movie. This is the start of his circle that yes. he's going to go full circle at the end of this season. It's like that thing in Game of Thrones where like someone starts off small, but then like a couple seasons later, it's like, oh, this dude's like one of the bigger characters. Now. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And uh, it was that script that was leaked to Ain't It Cool. Okay. Uh, the one that was written under Vaughn's supervision direction, yeah. what have you. And it's pretty much the movie. Uh, much greater emphasis is put on Angel's dad as the villain. Mm-hmm. And there was a sequence that got cut where Bobby, Beast, and Kitty break into the place where the cure is being made. And it would have been like this really cool, crazy Beast ballet action. Oh. And okay. uh, they cut it because maybe it sounded expensive. Probably. <laughs> so this was interesting. The uh, The studio didn't like the Phoenix stuff. Mm-hmm. They were like, can we just focus on the cure? This Phoenix stuff is like weird and nerdy uh-huh. and Kinberg and Penn and I assume Rothman were like, no, the fans will love it. This is the shit. And also it's like emotional and it's bringing this character that we presumably care about and like having her come back to life in this crazy way. And it's like way more emotional. So if you notice in X3, Phoenix kind of takes a step back. Mm hmm. There was this kind of tug of war between these two plot lines coming from the studio and the writers. I'll be perfectly honest. The studio was right. I mean, that's what Norman was saying earlier. Is that, I assume? Yeah, the the Phoenix stuff, it's not handled well, and they called it the Phoenix, and that's a lot of this movie's problems are connecting it to the Phoenix. If you can't do it right, why do it? Yeah, Yeah. the problem with the Phoenix is, yeah, what if you take away the Shi'ar, if you take away Lelantra, and the Phoenix Force, and also so much of what makes that book work, reading it for the first time, is about the love that that family, the X-Men have for Jean. Right. Yeah. The love that Scott has for Jean. Right. And none of that is in this version of the movie. No. No. Storm. <laughs> yeah. No, Storm wants to kill Jean so bad. Oh, man. Right out the gate. Right out the gate. Yeah. We, she's supposed to be dead. We need to kill her again. Now. <laughs> the, the last Dead is issue, better. <laughs> dead is hey, better. Logan, you better get your shit together and kill Jean tonight. Or I'm going <laughs> to do it for you. Dead is better. <laughs> There's a part in the last issue of Phoenix Saga where just all the X-Men just in their feelings in the hotel room. Like, oh my God, can I do it? Can I stop? Can I kill Jean? I love Jean. And I'm like, yeah, this is how it's, this is, this is, I, I understand why this is such a celebrated story in the mm-hmm. canon. Yeah. 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 It was Fox's idea to kill Cyclops. I see this whole time. I thought it was, he was busy shooting Superman Returns. That like, was why. Oh, oh, okay. It was his availability. Yeah. And also, this kind of is, I guess, evidence for there being some kind of maybe bad blood between Rothman and Singer or those two productions. But yeah, actually, Fox wanted uh, Cyclops to die off screen and have it wow. mentioned in dialogue. And the screenwriters were like, no, we should have it be on camera. 
why kill him though? Why not just be like, yeah, no, after the gene stuff, he just bailed. Like, yeah. why does he have to die? Right. Like to give more There's motivation a- to Logan. It's like a weird yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and we'll, we'll we'll get into all the reasons why, like, I, that I think is still weird to this day. Mm-hmm. There was, like, a Screen Rant article, because, you know, everyone came back for Days of Future Past. Right. And then answered questions. And James Marsden didn't sound like he, like, I understand. I understand why it happened. No bad blood. And also, like you said, Norman, like, he understood, for better or for worse, these were Wolverine movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't he's, know if anyone on- expected Hugh Jackman to be like the breakout guy that really was what caught everyone's attention after the first movie, but that's a hundred percent what happened. You can feel it happening through two. Yeah. Cause he's even better in two. Yeah. I don't think they carry over a lot of what made him so great in two into this one. Yeah. And, and we'll talk about it. Well, there's a yeah. line in this movie that I think hits it on the head. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. This was developed simultaneously with uh, X-Men origins Wolverine. So that affected which mutants were available for like cameos and stuff. It makes a lot of sense qualitatively. (laughs) Uh, For example, in the scene where the Brotherhood and Magneto flip that truck and save Mystique, and there's like a bunch of other mutants that are being rescued. Mm -hmm. In the script that leaked to Ain't It Cool, uh, one of the mutants that are rescued is none other than Gambit. Oh, okay. And then they were like... No, because like he, we want him in this one. Would that confuse people? Because you can't make X Men Origins Wolverine without Gambit. I right, mean, oh, you right. know, I'm you just, mean, you yeah. just can't. Well, he's, <laughs> he's part of the greatest visual effect shot of all time. When Wolverine's just like slicing that that ladder slowly, <laughs> chunk by chunk. Oh, I haven't seen that movie. I've not seen oh, Origins boy. because none of it looked interesting to me at the time. We we have to watch it next week. <laughs> that's right. That's the, that's the next one. God. That's the next one. Yeah, And there was also Nightcrawler, Alan Cumming, was written into the script. He had said in interviews that he was really uncomfortable during the makeup process, but he was willing to come back. However, his role in the script was so small that the studio decided that it wasn't worth paying for the makeup and the effects for mm-hmm. how little he was going to be on screen. Uh, apparently, his absence is explained in the 2006 tie-in video game. Oh, good. Great. Yay. Or I guess he, he dies, I guess. <laughs> Does he really? I don't know. Oh, okay. All right. Uh-huh. So that's cool. I mean, I, I had heard that it was like, no, I don't want to do it. But I guess there was like a script reason. I remember reading an interview where Kimberg said that he was kind of doing a lot of the stuff that Hank McCoy was doing mm-hmm. in terms of like their opinion towards the cure. Mm. What if I wasn't blue? What if I could be normal? Yeah. See, having Nightcrawler as part of a Phoenix story makes sense because like you know phoenix force cosmic being basically a god he's very religious there's a lot of stuff that you could play around with there Mm -hmm. with the cure it's like we already dealt with all of his opinions on that in the last movie with mystique and then also like you said then there's the beast of it all so yeah i get it i get why he's not in this i think it makes sense i think the only way to use him properly would have been with the phoenix stuff and in this version she's not a god she's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde yeah. or something. And her powers are yeah. closer, really, to, like, the Scarlet Witch in a lot of ways than they are to the Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah. In the uh, the script that leaked to Ain't It Cool, there was apparently, like, a heavier emphasis on some kind of relationship between Storm and Wolverine, which apparently was something that Rothman had been pushing from behind the scenes. Yeah, I remember that. 
I do remember that being a thing. I think I read that article back in the day. You probably did. And uh, and thinking like, oh, that's interesting. And then watching the movie and sort of being like, oh, I can kind of see where it was. But then they cut it out. Like there's that bit where she like cradles him. Mm-hmm. Um, right at the very beginning you know, in the training sequence. And they do the spin across the wall and stuff too. Oh, yeah. There's that too. But I was talking specifically when Xavier bites it. Oh, yeah. Wolverine like crumples and then she like wraps her arms around him and falls on top of him. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh, they, they're acting a lot like a couple for not being a couple, mm-hmm. according to For, this for there being I mean, no chemistry seen. between them in that way, really, at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a thing I think that later on happened in the comics, though. Wolverine and Storm might be, dating. Yeah. How, haven't they all hooked up at this point? Though? I'm pretty sure, yeah. yeah. Well, actually, I think Wolverine's slept with a lot fewer than you would think. Okay. Because um, he's uh, a little tends- ugly, nasty man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he tends to have his own things. He has going a lot on. of kids. He has a lot of adopted kids. Yeah. yeah. He tends to go someplace, meet some woman, have a love affair with her. It's like they die, and then yeah. he's like, Well, I'm on my own again. Yeah, like, it's, it's like it's like you got Gene, you got Storm, you yeah. got Laura, and then you have yeah. Yuriko. Yeah. yeah uh, Ian McKellen was filming the Da Vinci Code at the same time as this movie. Da Vinci Code came out this long ago? Da Vinci Code came out in the summer of 2006. I saw that movie opening weekend. Nice. Me too. Yeah. Huh. Well, I didn't even remember that being that old. I'll be be honest. It ripped the foundations of the Catholic Church apart, Scott. Wow. Incredible. They never. So he's he's actually superimposed during uh, some parts of this movie because he was in London, England. I did not notice, really. Nothing stood out to me when I was watching it. No, me neither. I don't really have an eye for that kind of stuff, though. Yeah. Um, Patrick Stewart did not know about the fate of uh, Professor X when he signed on to the movie. Honestly, they did Xavier dirty in this movie, too, for for multiple reasons, but we'll we'll get into it. And getting into spoilers, Brett Ratner was very protective about spoilers. Mm -hmm. So presumably the script that everyone got ended with Wolverine alone on the mansion with the camera zooming out. Uh-huh. He told crew on the day, like during a lunch break, hey, I need a small crew to shoot the uh, the chess stuff and the Mora stuff. I remember the reaction to the chess piece moving when I saw this movie in theaters. Mm-hmm. I remember the crowd losing their minds. Yeah. There's weirdly a lot of moments like this that I remember my crowd reacting a lot to. Yeah. During this movie. I think it just came on. a. We were just ready for a hop and X-Men movie yeah. on Memorial yeah. Day weekend. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, let's get into it then. So first off, I want to shout out to this. I love and I miss it. I miss it so much. They weren't around very long. The X-Men centric Marvel logo. Oh, it was great. That rips. I love it so much. Just all the panels being X-Men comics is just so dope. I was like, they have to do something like that. When the mutants come out or whenever it's called. Oh, please, God. Rewatching this movie, I'm really excited for the X-Men to come into the MCU. I cannot wait. Yeah. I'm starting to catch mutant fever. Reading the books while like watching X-Men 3 and really seeing what the X-Men are like when they're clicking Mm -hmm. and when they're firing on all cylinders. I'm like, oh, yeah, this would be such a fun movie. Yeah. Yeah. So right away, Ratner's changing things up. We had a set schedule as far as how these movies go and immediately ratner's like nope we're gonna do a cold open and then we get this cold open with charles and eric as partners yes visiting gene gray and it's uh was this y'all's first introduction to de-aging in movies yes Mm -hmm. absolutely and i remember everyone being like that looked weird i didn't like that 
I think it ages pretty good. I, I do too. Okay, good, 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 cool. Yeah, I think it looks pretty I good. I do too. Yeah. I mean, granted, you know, two movies from now when we're talking about first class, this makes no sense whatsoever. Xavier's walking around when he's supposed to be paralyzed in the 60s by you Magneto's, know, Magneto's hand. hand. Well, there's yeah. multiple timelines, Scott. Like, it's fine. Yeah, but is that the thing? That's I don't what think, I tell myself. Yeah, I don't know. It's the only way it makes know. sense. It sucks because, like, I said this last week, but I think Wally was doing the work connecting the tissue together. And I think this is the first real monkey wrench in that. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. So we have this whole scene where we're introduced to Jean. And at first I was like, you know, she was reading their thoughts. And I was like, wait, since when does Jean read thoughts? They've been very specific the last two movies to just have her be TK. Yeah, TK. And that's it. And then, you know, later in the movie, we learn that like, oh, that's because Xavier blocked that part out of her. The fail safes. Yeah, the fail safes or whatever. So it's actually a pretty good setup in terms of like, she used to be a lot more powerful. What happened? I like this little opening scene just as it is until we get further into the movie and like there's weird things. The uh, the chemistry between McKellen and Stewart is really fun to see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love his turtleneck. I like how, yeah, he's kind of wearing, he's already got his uniform down, but it's like in clothes. Yeah. We get a fun cameo from not only Stan Lee, but Chris Claremont. Yes. They live across the street from each other. This is the, yeah. So they're there to like coax her parents into letting her come to the Xavier school, which is honestly, it's bullshit that it's called the Xavier school. If Eric and Xavier are working together at this point, like running the school together, why would it be called the Xavier school? It's my house, Scott. Yeah. (laughs) The Lencher Xavier Institute at the time. Yeah. That's what it should be. Yeah. That does sound cool. So the next scene is the introduction of Angel as like a little boy trying to saw off his wings. Really upsetting. Really, yeah. really upsetting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, graphic. And I remember even the first time I watched it, the zoom into his wound is so jarring. Yes. Yeah. yes. I think it's kind of the right way to set up what they wanted to go for, is to do something really jarring like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The ugly side of fighting your nature, right. attacking your, your mutant side with a right. knife. Right. Yeah. I will go on record and say I hate everything they did with Angel in this movie. It's a real um, waste of Angel. <laughs> it's a huge waste. Angel, one of the OG X-Men, and they finally bring him into the fold, and they don't even let him be an X-Man. He's just a plot device. Mm-hmm. He, he, he barely interacts with them. Yeah, right. Just at the end. Yeah. Yeah. It's a total waste of this character. And, and I mean, you know, it's probably one of the most egregious wastes of a character yeah. in, in a series that, I mean, really wastes characters left and right. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I think but, it really speaks to just the difference of mindset, you know, to someone like, I'm not saying he's like a flawless movie producer or whatever, but, you know, like if you look at someone like Kevin Feige or the MCU, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, to X-Men readers, it's like, that's Warren. Yeah. I know that guy. I know his relationship. But to these filmmakers, it's like, oh, yeah, he has angel wings. Right. Right. What's right. a good visual so where we can, can we- do with that? Yeah, where right. can we drop Angel Wing guy and just totally severing what makes that character compelling? I mean, like even as early as, as Cyclops, they don't really get what makes Scott Summers a cool character. Severing what makes him interesting, the way that he's trying to sever his own wings. Whoa, mm-hmm. his body. <laughs> I wrote on here Angel Shame as my note to remind me of what scene it was. And I just realized like that's what he's doing in that where he's like trying to saw off his wings. That's like literally what... Like the studio yeah. was basically doing, essentially. Uh, yeah. It wouldn't have been hard to make him do more in this movie by have him being one of the people that goes to the Institute early to be like, hey, I know where the source of this is. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is pretty powerful imagery and kind of furthering the being in the bathroom shame. Yeah. Being young. The dad reacting the absolute worst way that he could. Yeah, absolutely. So that brings us to the introduction of the danger room and Sentinels and the fastball special. Yes. Yep. This was just three fan service hits in a row. When this scene ended, I felt euphoric watching this in theaters. Because I was just like, oh, wow, like that was a lot. That was a lot of X-Men all at once. Yeah. When you're like, not used to it. Yeah. Yeah, because these movies have been so buckled down when it comes to that kind of thing. Yeah. That mm-hmm. like just to get three hits in a row, I yeah. remember just being like, whoa. I, uh. There's some, some research on this scene. They've been trying to get a Danger Room scene into all three of these movies. Yes. But it had been cut for time and budget reasons. Yeah. And so they were like, oh, wouldn't it be fun to give them a treat? The fans. <laughs> yeah. And just that mindset of like, wouldn't it be cool just to do something for the fans? One one danger room as a treat. Then now it's like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to do something for the fans? Yeah, like end game. Yeah, right. There was a part where they're, oh, it's, uh, well, how can we make it not feel extraneous? And it's like, oh, what if they were talking about problems that they're going to have later on in the movie? And I was like, yeah. That's called screenwriting. Writing. That's yeah, how that's- you set things up so that the payoffs make sense. <laughs> what were they doing in the other drafts? It's just like inventing screenwriting on this movie. Someone's just like um, takes a big puff out of a joint and they're just like, what if? Hang on. Stay with me, guys. <laughs> what if when um, we paid things off, we set it up earlier? <laughs> <laughs> we get Bobby and Rogue in their suits. Mm-hmm. Yep. We get the addition of Kitty Pride, played by uh, her third actor. Yes. None other than Elliot Page. This was a big summer crush for me. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And like Elliot Page, like really, I mean, he does his best in in this movie with not a lot. Even less than I remember. Yeah. At the time, I was like, oh my God, Elliot Page. Yeah. But coming back, I'm like, wow, Kitty's like barely in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And she's just like this awkward wedge. I appreciate what they were going for. It's super X-Men to me. Yes. The dynamic of like, oh, Bobby is hanging out with this girl but he can touch her. Yeah. Like, that's cool. That's good. Yeah. But you know what sucks is that she spends a lot of the movie with Colossus because it's like a nudge, nudge, right? Mm -hmm. You know, fans. These two, they're the, yeah, they're the OTP. But (laughs) they don't set up a romance between the two of them. (laughs) They don't have any chemistry. There's no her, like, covering his eyes on the staircase. Yeah, there's nothing. Nothing Not anything in the background, because they're just kids at school. Like, you could just have them doing things in the background when, like, Logan and Storm are walking through the hall. You could, like, see stuff in the background. Oh, man. Speaking of kids in the background, I don't remember where in here this happens. But there's a scene where, like, I think Wolverine and Storm are, like, walking and talking. And behind them, there's a guy who's like 17 years old talking to his best friend, an eight year old child. And they're just, they're both holding books, walking down the hallway, talking like they're best friends. And then he's like, hey, come on, let's go to class. And they just like go to class together. And I'm like, what class are you guys sharing? Maybe, I don't know, but that's you're awesome. 10 years apart. <laughs> I don't know, but that's Maybe great. the eight year old is like that one character from Invincible. That's like looks eight, but is actually like 20. Well, yeah. I mean, maybe. I like to think that that's what's going on. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe the 17 uh, year old kid is really like uh, eight right, years old. It's a Jack situation. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, well, the mutant equivalent of Jack. I love Wolverine lighting a cigar on the fire. Yeah. yeah. I do love Wolverine lighting a cigar with a fire, but is the cigar not real or is the fire not real? Because uh, it's the danger room. It all goes away. That's right. So how does he light his cigar on something that isn't real? I think it all has to not be real. <laughs> yeah. But if it's not real, how so does it have like, any force to push them around? The danger yeah, room doesn't that, make sense. 
Ever. Never a has. A lot of, yeah. <laughs> it's broken. <laughs> it's a holodeck. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it usually not a holodeck? Isn't it? It's usually like. I feel like a room with like an obstacle course in it. It's not like a. Like a it's holodeck. not. It's not it kinda always be, like It kind of becomes a holodeck more in like the Joss Whedon gifted books. Right. Right. I think it evolves into that eventually. Mm-hmm. But. Because um, there's even a line where Kitty Pryde's like, God, I missed when it was just like traps and yeah. stuff. Yeah. I, yeah. Isn't it like a holodeck, but like with robots in it in the 90s cartoon? It's been a while since I've watched that stuff. But it's like projections over robots, I think. Oh, is that right? Okay. So that's how it's part of it is practical. Yeah. So I just kind of noticed, I clocked it this time watching it. Some of the best Wolverine stuff we got next to was him kind of blossoming into maybe Logan, teacher of children. Yes. Yeah. You know? Yes. Like, these are my these are my kids now. Yes. And in this one, he's just like a dick. Yeah. He's just, yep. he's like your classic swaggering action movie. Like, hey, fuck it, right? Whatever. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even supposed to be and, here today. Scott's supposed to be teaching yeah, his kids. He's still mourning his dead love of his dead life or whatever. Right. Yeah. God, fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's just, he's, he's immediately not exactly the dude that he was right. in the second one. Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the characters are very different. Yeah. There's a little um, bit of regression I mean, and like a little change because it has different writers and a different director, right? Yeah. yeah. Then Cyclops is pouting. He's got five o'clock shadow. Mm-hmm. That's how you know he's depressed. He's still not over Alkali Lake. Yep. And, you know, fair. Though I don't get it because we never saw really much of their relationship or how close they were in either of the movies that we saw. Yeah. Sure. But there's not a tell, not show. Yeah. Yes, Just absolutely. expecting the audience to fill it in because, like, we know that they're a couple. Right, he, right. And kind of the only time we saw them be a couple was when it was like, you're moving in on my girl, slick. That's my girl, homie. Like, right. we, we never got him, like, caring for her. Mm-hmm. Except when it, well, we, well, we got a lot of him caring for her, but we didn't get a lot of them being, like, a couple. Right. Yeah. Right. This does lead to, I, I think it's a good line. I think I really like this line. I think it might be the line oh, in the yeah, movie yeah. that, like, stuck out to me in terms of, like, oh, that was pretty good, was the line where he's bailing. Mm-hmm. He's going to go off on his own, and Logan's, like, trying to stop him. And then he says, you just got to get over this. And then he says, not everyone heals as fast as you, Logan. Yeah, that is real good. It's a pretty good line. That stuck out to me, that, too. Yeah, that's a good Cyclops line, too. There's a lot of memorable lines in this movie. Yeah. That's what one that feels like it could be like in a good X-Men book. Yeah. 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 And then we get a scene where Xavier he's teaching a class and he's teeing up the post credits yeah. scene, basically. Where he's talking about like Who wants to see a dead body? Yeah, where he's like, What are the ethical, <laughs> you know, things behind taking over someone else's body permanently? Right. Someone who never had a conscious mind. Yeah, just Theoretically, yeah, you know, I, you know, I'm not no reason. I'm not asking for any reason. <laughs> Simon, do, do, blink the TV on real quick, Simon. We get the return of the boy who can turn on the TV with his mind and also can never sleep. Yes, <laughs> yeah, he's around. Yeah, this this thing with uh, with Moira McTaggart. I remember when I saw this movie and she pops up on the screen. I was like, oh, are we gonna get a bunch of Moira McTaggart in this movie? No, but <laughs> no, she's just there as like a nod to the rest of that. Um, <laughs> That's yeah. Olivia Williams. I know. That made me angry this time. Because uh, I was just like, why? Why did she agree to do this? And why did they never use her again? So upsetting. What Charles is talking about here is just like, ah, yes, this this person was born with no conscious active mind. I mean, a telepath would know, right? So like, what are the ethics of me taking that body? Just hypothetically. <laughs> That's the line where it's like, it kind of is an interesting question, but like, with a coma patient? No, no, Charles. No, absolutely not. 
<laughs> yeah. And we'll get back to him, to that consciousness being. Yes. And how we never get a clear look of what he looks like. Yes. On purpose, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Or the ramifications that has for the next five or six movies or so. Yeah. Yeah. Next, we are introduced to Secretary of Mutant Affairs. Hank McCoy. H- Hank McCoy, In a.k.a. The-, the Beast. Yes. In the script that was leaked, it's like recalling Nightcrawler. Only this time it's the beast walking through the White House where you're seeing like someone blue and furry. But this time he's like been invited there and he's in a suit and it's (laughs) meant to show like the progress that's been made. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, It feels out of the frick nowhere Mm -hmm. compared to where we left off in X2 that now there's like a mutant representative in the White House that's like going into meetings and stuff. We also have a new president. How long has it been? Like, how long has Cyclops I, been in this state? I had that question, too, watching this movie. I was like, how long is it between the end of X2 and the beginning of this movie? I have it, it no idea. Feel like it, yeah. <laughs> it feels like we missed a lot of the progress. Yeah. It's not clear. It's showing. At all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's obvious that they don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In general, I feel that the Beast makeup is lacking. I think it's a little cheap looking. And I think that he just kind of looks blue. I don't think he really looks beast-like. And I don't necessarily need, like, Catman Beast, although I love myself some Catman Beast. But he doesn't even really look like... He looks like the Beast from Beauty and the Beast. He does a little bit. Yeah. It's like they were confused, and then they were like, oh, shit, we did the wrong thing. Uh, Paint it blue. Paint it blue. And then, like, (laughs) we end up with the makeup we get. Yeah, the makeup to me... Sometimes it doesn't look very practical, and I wonder how much of it is, like, color-corrected in the film, and it doesn't look right to me. But yeah, you're right. It looks like maybe they they just thought that the Nightcrawler stuff was too expensive, and they're like, how can we do that cheaper? It really does. But I love the way we are introduced to Beast. Yeah, I do, too. I like this scene. It is weird, though, that Trask is in this scene. Um, yeah, played as, by Bill Duke. Yeah, as not Peter Dinklage. Again, just like, this is the one. This is the one that I think breaks everything else. Like, <laughs> you can squint and make everything else work, but then there's a bunch of shit in this movie that you're just like, none of this makes any sense. Um, in, the, in the grand scheme of this franchise, uh, none of this makes any sense. My main uh, X-Men consumption had been the 90s show. Mm-hmm. And that, I feel, is way more in line with who Kelsey Grammer's playing. Yes. This kind of poetic stuffy pretentious eloquent beast yeah Yeah. and not so much the like hey guys what's up good time try like cracking jokes beast right that you almost you you, we haven't really seen on the screen yet my perfect beast is like a donatello beast Mm. where it's like yeah he reads shakespeare and you know reads science textbooks and stuff like that he's a nerd Definitely. Mm-hmm. But also, yeah, he's up for a good yeah. time. You and know? he's like, he's got kind of a more, yeah, like he said, Donatello. Like, there's this part mm-hmm. I just read in Gifted where, like, they're all arguing over something. And he's like, well, Scott and Logan can fight in the lawn again. The kids love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beast, yeah, Beast should be, like, a little sarcastic, just a tiny bit out of touch, but, like, still understand everything going on around him, like, at a coolness level, understanding, like, where things are. Like, Donatello. Yeah. yeah like, that's perfect. <laughs> Yeah, he's just, he's a real chill dude, and... He just understands astrophysics and Shakespeare. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know that when I think of chill dude, I think of Kelsey Grammer. But yeah, this is straight up the 90s cartoon beast. Like, that's 100% yeah, just, who it is. exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what this is, 100%, yeah. I feel like if they do bring Hank McCoy into the MCU, my dream is to do, like, performance capture. Yes. And then you really could get, like, John Cassidy, Cat Beast. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, man. I love Cap East. I really do. He hates it. Yeah, I know he hates it, but it rules. <laughs> yeah, we get the introduction of the mutant cure. Leech. Which is being made at Alcatraz prison for reasons. They're like, I'm, we're turning this thing known as a prison into a, a, Lab. a, a thing for, for freedom for mutants from the prison that they've been in. And it's like, no, you just want the third act of this movie to be at Alcatraz. Yeah. <laughs> like, fun, fun note about that. Yeah. You're exactly right. <laughs> Originally... <laughs> Uh, You're right. That is a fun note, Nick. So Thank you. The, uh, <laughs> um, Magneto was going to do the big San Francisco bridge trick yeah. to get to Alcatraz Island to free the mutants. Oh, okay. And yeah. uh, then the finale of the movie was going to be in Washington, D.C. Oh. And Brett Ratner was like, too many action movies. The finale is in D.C. That's boring. The San Francisco bridge thing is going to be the coolest thing I ever direct. So that's going to be the finale. We're moving the finale to Alcatraz so we can do that in the finale. Okay. Because he wanted the the San Francisco bridge thing to be more of like a third act. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it definitely just feels like the writers just being like, I don't. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> we'll figure out the justify it the best we can. <laughs> It definitely feels like that kind of situation. It was a lab in D.C., but I guess it could be on Alcatraz. Sure. Whatever. <laughs> fuck it. Yeah. When's this movie coming out? Yeah, fuck it. We, we need to get this done. <laughs> oh, oh, eight months? Cool. Yeah. We need to be done in four. <laughs> then we get the, the mutant meeting being led by just some random dude. Uh, he's random doing his mutant. best. Yeah, he's doing his best. He's not inspiring any confidence from anyone. We've uh, found a cure. And then... Eric stands up and decides to take over because he's like, hey, we're not being exterminated. We don't have to take the cure. And Eric's just like, Never, it always starts that way that we're not being exterminated. And then the exterminating he happens and like that whole thing really go heavy on yeah. it. But that's Magneto's thing, though. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So but, I have a question. Yeah. I, I think one of the weirdest introductions or kind of things that are new about this movie is like the, the mutant culture. Yes. And it sucks because, like, that's one of my favorite things about the books. Yeah. But in The Last Stand, it just seems like a bunch of extras in leather. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's because they are. <laughs> and, like, they have, like, tattoos and it. Yeah. They have power rankings Suddenly, now. Like, that's which a is, brand that's new That's from thing. the comic books, right? It, like, that's the Omega level. Yeah, yeah, it is. But that's all it's here it for is, in the but, movie is to be like, hey, see, we know the comic books are a thing that happened. Yeah, they yeah. all talk about it. Like they've known about it the whole time. Yeah. yeah. There's even a part where Professor Rex tells Logan, like, Jane's the only level five mutant type of him. Like, what the hell are you talking right? about? Yeah. Why are and you talking <laughs> about living people like they're tornadoes? And if you're going to do it, use Omega level. Just use it. Just say the thing. Yeah. It, it reminds me of what we were talking about with Hank being in the White House. It feels like we've, we've skipped almost a whole movie. It feels like five years have gone by, at least. Just yeah. in the way the world has changed in this movie compared to the last one. How did a mutant outlier community underground form without Magneto? Right. Because it seems like they're like, shut up, old man. Like, they don't really treat him with the respect you would think. Well, it struck me as not really like an underground thing because they had like flyers up. That was like mutant only meeting. Okay. Yeah. So like, like an a, AA meeting. Yeah. I think it's like more like that. Anybody can come like a town meeting. Town you know? meeting. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's more like that. And then... He takes it over and he's like, you're all my soldiers now. (laughs) You porcupine man. I like you. What can you do? Um, Porcupine man. Ken Lung. Uh, Yeah. I didn't get a good look at him 
earlier, but is he the big guy that goes to sit down and then shrinks? But he's also Porcupine Man. Whoa. The way that what's her name is Fast Lady and Fast Power lady Level and Nower. All, yeah, and also Power Ranking Lady. I don't. Do you know who Ken Lung is in the, from the comics? No, I'm unaware. Okay, I don't know. Right. He's spiky. Yeah, he's a pointy yeah. boy. You don't want to hug him. But maybe he can expand like a puffer fish. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's like a puffer fish deal. Maybe that's what he's supposed to be. Because like there's that big guy. It's like walking and he goes to go sit down in this tiny space between people. And they're all like, oh, the big the big fat guy is going to sit on us. And then he goes and he sits and he shrinks into like a skinny dude as he sits. And I think the skinny dude is Ken Long. Ken Long. Mm. I think. I, I wasn't paying that much yeah. attention, so maybe. I don't know. Or it's just another extra. Yeah, because like not to in the finale we learned that like thirty percent of all mutants have jumping powers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and there's straight up someone that has the same powers as Toad. They're just in this movie. We're gonna talk about the wire work in this yeah, movie we'll because it. it is yeah, brutal. We'll, we'll. But, uh, <laughs> so uh, the Brotherhood is now just like Magneto and Pyro. Oh, we learned during the B scene that Mystique had been apprehended. Yes. You want to talk about people being done dirty Mystique. in this movie. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so many people get done dirty but in this yeah. movie. Power Lady level is like, I could find any mutant. She's like, well, I'm looking for one in a, in a truck being driven away. Right? Yeah. We and get then, this sweet action scene. We, we get this action scene of breaking Mystique out. Yeah, that of, truck flip is a good. I, I just love yeah, watching yeah. Ian McKellen just casually lift his hand and crush a car, toss it to the side, and then do it again. Oh and toss man! It to the side. So many people got murked in this scene just immediately. <sighs> Magneto just casually murders hundreds of people in this movie, <laughs> which he didn't do in the other no. two. It's just suddenly in this one he's I doing. I think it. Um, he, some of it is an overcorrection. For how much people love Ian McKellen's performances, Magneto, and they're just like, no, we need to make uh, it clear that he is a bad guy in the third one, all the way down, yeah, bad, maybe. bad, bad. One yeah. choice in particular, yeah, uh, particularly heartless. Yes, but absolutely. we get Multiple Man. Yeah, Jamie Madrox. I hear people who read a lot of comics say that Multiple Man is like people love him. Yeah, he was uh, Wally, our, our first guest yeah. this miniseries, loved him. They use him interestingly in a couple a couple times. But just that's just a couple. That actor seems pretty charming. Yeah, he seems like he's like happy that he got this role and is like going to make it as <laughs> make it the most. Basically, a featured extra. Yeah, basically. But yeah, this whole breakout, we get introduced to the Juggernaut. What do you think of Vinnie Jones as the Juggernaut? I don't mind him as the Juggernaut, but I I don't understand the S and M suit. It's not like his his like comics brown suit is not also good at showing off that he's just like a jacked guy like why did you turn it into yeah. he-man <laughs> in in general the things that you were talking about with like the extras being all in leather and what it's like more like it's if, like if leather and it feels and, like a reheat of the aesthetic that was so cool in like the 2000s like blade and underworld yeah, yeah. but even by 06 it just seemed like kind of played yeah. out yeah, yeah absolutely but it, and yeah it, de- it definitely feels reheated it doesn't feel like fresh in any way it feels like oh, or the matrix yeah right because it's everybody's piercings and tribal tattoos and <laughs> fishnets you know it's fishnets it's like and, a bunch of hollywood studio executives idea yeah. of like what underground is it's all rave kids <laughs> the thing that makes me i think the maddest about this juggernaut costume is one his helmet looks like yes. shit and so it's like it's the only part of the <laughs> costume that looks like juggernaut and he, that looks like absolute dog shit it's, you get the padded muscles uh yeah and then you get the padded muscles that like 
He's not wearing a suit over, so they just look like these weird, deformed. Just it looks awful. Right. It looks. Like I was going to ask because like he's wearing yeah. a suit, right? Like he's wearing a muscle suit. Yeah, those aren't real muscles. So like hey, you know, like it's Vinny Jones. He's a big right. guy. Like, he's a pretty. Yeah, yeah. But I can't hate Vinny Jones. Know. I like Vinny Jones. He's entertaining. No, oh. she's the man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I really don't mind Vinny Jones as the juggernaut. I like that they got a British guy because you know he's supposed to be Charles's like stepbrother or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's like you know there's that relation there. So I like all of that. They pick the weirdest things to like honor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. They do this shit all the time. Yeah, it looks like dog shit. It's awful. It's an awful interpretation of the character his power looks cool when he's like right. running around it looks looks but like why does he wear a helmet yeah. if we don't uh, have like but... the explanation of why like he just wears like this really chunky helmet yeah right <laughs> i found this in a tomb when i was exploring <laughs> yeah i'm not a mutant i have magical powers <laughs> yeah okay let's it's... just keep going yeah, yeah like he shouldn't even be in the team no yeah that's the thing i don't even know why they're using the juggernaut because the juggernaut isn't a mutant well the meme right i know i know. i mean you could have done a scene if they wanted to honor that in some way where he gets shot with like those cure needles and they don't do anything yeah. <laughs> oh that would have been a great oh yeah. no mutant it's all <laughs> it's all ancient egyptian magic or whatever he found the thing <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a fun episode of the animated series oh man they, they, they rescue mystique they, yeah they go to fire on magneto and uh, mystique takes the hit and turns human gets cured and magneto's like ew and then walks away right. she used it's a shame she was so beautiful it's just like oh god yeah. my audience like gasped yeah. this was like the first gasp moment of the movie yeah of the audacity yeah it's a freaking heartbreaker because we were just talking norman about what a pimp mystique is in x2 yeah she's mm-hmm. hacking she's breaking into stuff she's dropping like truth bombs on people yeah and this movie these fucking writers and brett ratner <laughs> just have no idea what to do with this character yeah and so they just punt her out of the movie as quickly as possible in the most like I don't know like I'm cool with like swerves and like surprises and like reminding the audience that your villain sucks yeah but it just feels like they're cheating both of them yeah yeah you know what I would have loved is if Rebecca Romaine then like Mystique Rebecca Romaine shows up at the Xavier Mansion you know gets involved with Beast and is like I'm not a mutant anymore but like I believe in mutant rights and I want to do everything that I can to help that cause. You know, and like, yeah. basically, you you see her not go from mutant to human. You see her go from Magneto's view on things to Xavier's view on things. Right, because she sees what Magneto was really like. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's the final nail, and we'll get into it. But the way they end her character, mm-hmm. she wouldn't do that. And like, the, it dishonors all the great little moments that X2 had with those two characters. Yeah. Then we get yeah. introduced to Leech. The mutant who is responsible for the mutant cure. Played by the kid from Thank You for Smoking. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was watching this movie and I was like, why the fuck does that kid look so familiar? <laughs> and I looked at a list of things he'd been in and I was just like, oh, Thank You for Smoking, A Butterfly Effect. Of course I recognize right. this kid. Oh, Butterfly Butterf- Effect. That's that's the one I remember from. I remember like when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's a kid from Thank You for Smoking. <laughs> <laughs> this is the scene where Beast like tries to introduce himself and then turns his hand turns human, right? Yeah. 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 I like that moment, actually, quite a bit. I think it's cool, and I like how Kelsey Grammer plays the moment of Mm -hmm. just, like, I've got a lot of feelings about this because I'm a big blue guy, but also I'm a proud mutant, and so, like... 
this would solve a lot of my problems, but also like it feels wrong somehow. And him, he he really goes on a journey of awe to to like sadness and then acceptance. Yeah, in like a few seconds. Yeah, you still feel like he's kind of on the cusp of like how he really feels about all of this a little bit. Like Kelsey Grammer is a great actor, but yeah, I like that moment. He's like. I haven't seen my skin in 30 years. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm glad they gave him one moment that isn't necessarily Frasier. Mm-hmm. Like like you said, Norm, like, yeah, like this, he is like a, an actor, too. Yes. And so, like, giving him a moment of, like, pathos. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that Leech is playing an Xbox 360 launch title. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the game, but I remember that was, like, one of the launch titles. Oh, okay. Are there kids playing, like, Crash Bandicoot in the back of a uh, car in this movie? They're playing the, the game same game playing? that Leech is playing. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Um, Cato and the... Oh, right. That game. That one? Yeah. yeah, I remember that game. You're right. That is a 360 launch <laughs> title. Anyway, Cyclops gets iced. Yep. So sure does. he... I don't understand what happens here. I don't think anybody does. I think... Yeah, the, it just the happens. that you have to understand is just that, like, they wanted him dead, so he's dead. The way that it reads in the script leak, and I can't tell what is the reader... Oh, the reader isn't Moriarty, by the way. It's like one of their moles. Oh, okay. It's one of those. Remember, they'd be like, hey, here's my buddy, super right, right, right. stank. Yeah, I was I was one of their leaks once. Right. For the Wonder Woman pilot. Yeah. Because yeah. I saw it and I told them that it stunk. Mm-hmm. I think I am at least partially responsible for that show not getting picked up. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't help. <laughs> I didn't help. That's for sure. Because, so, uh, yeah, I was everywhere for a week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your place in history. Yeah. The way the reader is kind of, I think, trying to contextualize this moment is, like, because there's a part in the Chris Claremont comic where she's like, take off your glasses, Scott, it's okay. Yeah. And it's like, she thinks that she can control it. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like Rogue, where she didn't know when she goes in for the kiss that this is going to kill Cyclops. It's like a vampire. She doesn't know yet but in the movie and then she likes it yeah it's the thing it's like in the movie it feels totally premeditated yes gene just killed scott yeah and the movie never deals with it in a way that feels real i felt like i was dreaming yeah yeah it's wild i also i don't understand what wakes her up i don't get that (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. here's the thing it's a very simple fix right so we're talking about the idea of gene has multiple personalities Mm -hmm. one of them is the phoenix and the other one is gene right it makes perfect sense that this cocoon wakes up the Phoenix side of her personality that Xavier locked away, right? Wakes it up. Cyclops is there. And she says, hey, I'm the Phoenix now, but I have this other side of me, this side of me that loves you and wants to protect you and protect the X-Men and this side of me, this weak side of me, and I need to get rid of it. And the only way to do that is for you to fucking die and then that's right? how you kill him i don't want to be gene anymore i don't want to be gene anymore snaps his neck or whatever the fuck and he's dead right that would be like a oh shit kind of moment whereas this is right. like what is ha- he dead what happened yeah right because you can still play it coy that way right like what you're talking about right. like where she gets real close and it's like it looks like it's gonna be the sweet yeah. thing and like saying how much she loves him but that's the old me and then just kills yeah. him and then the whole time the audience is like, no, don't trust her. She's she's evil. Yes. 
when she regroups with like the other X-Men. Yeah. Yeah. They don't go to find her. She comes back to them. Yeah. They never go see Scott's body or whatever happened to There's, him. Yeah. You could play that a lot you better. You could play it so much better. And it feels like having the date before a director and then getting a second director was maybe a mistake creatively. <laughs> yeah. Because I think doing it with her going back to them instead of them finding her unconscious yeah. too, you can really play up the tension between her and Xavier in oh, a more yeah. cat and yeah. mouse kind of way. if you're going to do it this way, if you're going to do it where she's not the Phoenix Force, it's this alternate personality or whatever. Uh, maybe like as a result of Professor X's meddling. Right. It it's, all manifests. Yeah, you can make it more clear yeah. that like maybe that made this worse explicitly. Yeah, it manifesting this way and just full blown just being like, she's the villain in this movie. Is such a, stop Jean. Yeah, it's not the choice I would want, <laughs> but at least it would be a watchable movie. Whereas this is just like, what is going on? What does she want? What is happening? Like, yeah. Like, why is she doing any of this? And I think that's yeah. a big part of why this is remembered so ill fondly. Yeah. This part of the movie is because it's, it's yeah, it's handled so weirdly. Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. just like, pick a fucking lane, guys. Like, that's all I want. It's just like, pick a lane. Stop trying to do both things because you're doing them both poorly. All this Phoenix stuff is like the part of the movie that I like generally don't really defend. I want some of it to work, so I see some good in it that's probably not really there, yeah. but it doesn't really no. work. There are moments that work, right? Like, later yeah. we'll talk about it, but like the Wolverine coming at her and, and taking the hits on the way works like gangbusters i think i think it works yeah great. i like that yeah. a lot but like you know it doesn't mean a whole lot in the moment because yeah, it's it's exactly. the culmination of something that doesn't work the whole movie because <laughs> they didn't do enough in three movies to make yeah it work. exactly a hundred percent and also just in general the phoenix stuff like what does it have to do with the cure storyline like they're not Nothing. linked in any way <laughs> no you know, they're just two completely separate things. They're only linked in like a really tenuous metaphorical way, I guess. In they that find like thematic, yeah. They're kind of opposites against each other. <clears throat> you have the the cure storyline, which is like humanity weaponizing a mutant power in one way, and Magneto, who's trying to weaponize this one mutant's power in a different the way. The most powerful. And how mutant. those two yeah. things Right. And then they come to blows. Yeah. Control versus like loss of control or or you know, freedom. Right. Yeah. It's and very it's like, tenuous, though. All this power versus the power that can take power away, but we never see them actually encounter each other, yeah. which is what you would want those two things to do thematically to like get that across, but it doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, I want to save the next thing I have to say about all of that Please, at yeah. the end, but I will get there. So Wolverine and Storm investigate. They find his glasses. They're like, oh, no. There's never a point in the movie where they react emotionally the way you're expecting them to, that Cyclops is missing and then dead you get a little bit from you jackman just a no, little because this guy sucks this like, that's, that's yeah. the thing everybody's <laughs> just like well i mean scott kind of sucked so i mean we, we it's all not agree like, yeah. it's not like we were a <laughs> fuck scott yeah. it's not like we were like a family of unbreakable friends forged right. together through conflict and prejudice yeah. scott was only here because he was dating gene we love gene but <laughs> gene gene's back you know what, <laughs> yeah you know what i think if he's gonna be such a douchebag across these movies you know what it should have been when he left he should have stolen logan's motorcycle yeah that would have been good <laughs> yeah that would have been one good. last one last fuck you so they bring her back we talk about the cocoon of psychic energy we talk about the phoenix personality I xavier really blocking a part of Gene's powers. I appreciate that this movie starts to introduce the Professor Xavier as a jerk. 
Yes. Of like, oh, this dude isn't always Dumbledore. Right. He, he's made some really compromised positions. Yeah. I don't think it's... Although he's a little more like Dumbledore. That's very that true. Way. Good. Good on you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like, I always like in the comics when they're like, he's not the best sometimes. Yeah. I know where this is coming from, but it does feel like it's coming out of nowhere. The way yes. that it's presented. Yeah. I don't think it's presented in a way where you understand Xavier's point of view at all. Unless you're already kind of into the like philosophy side of some of this stuff. Yeah. None of this like feels like it makes any no, sense. No, not at all. Not at all. Like, when did this happen? Right. In the history that you've been. Yeah, because he has all this power and there's all this stuff he can do. And he talks about having all this responsibility to use your power the right way. But we don't ever really get in Xavier's head to really see how he feels about what is the right way. Where are the limits of what he thinks is acceptable? We don't really get that any time before yeah. this. Yeah. And then we get the Ben Foster angel scene. We introduce Ben Foster. In hindsight, one of the weirdest casting choices. It is bizarre seeing Ben Foster walk out of that room. One of Hollywood's most beloved uh, crazy guys. Yeah. Not crazy. off camera, but just like his characters. Yeah. Crazy character actor. 310 um, to Yuma. Yeah. He's usually wild. And this is buttoned down and he is bored. And I'm bored watching him. Like, it's just, it's a bummer all the way around. There's so many other mutants that he would kill playing. And instead, they give him Angel. And not even, like, a real Angel. Like, like no. this fake bullshit guy version angel of Angel. <laughs> yeah. He's a bummer. He's a bummer to be around, you know? And I get it. I understand... The character we meet in that first scene. Yeah. Yeah, know? totally. And, and I understand the purpose of it in the movie mm -hmm. that we're watching. But, like... <laughs> It's a bummer that it's Angel because it's nothing like Angel. Angel is way more like a Johnny Storm type guy. Right. And if we don't care about Angel, then you can't ever do the apocalypse. He becomes, uh, is it Archangel? Yeah. Is that what he's called yeah. at, at that yeah. point? You can't do that and it matters. Right. Like, the reader even speculates that. It's really interesting, like them not knowing where it's all headed. He can be an Age of Apocalypse. I don't know. Like, There's even a part where Moriarty says, this is the perfect film franchise because you can just cycle people in and out and never have to change the continuity. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I'm like, if only. If only. That's mighty prescient. And then, <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah, he's being forced to get the cure. Totally normal situation of getting what's a, essentially a vaccine. Totally normal, where they just strap you to a table and tie your arms down. Well, he's the first test, yeah. right? Isn't that like what this what we're supposed to kind of take away from this? No one's been given this before. <laughs> right. So the guy who made it is just like, yeah, you can give it to my son. Yeah. I don't care what happens. Oh, uh, boy. Because yeah, either he's a dead mutant or he's a cured human. Uh, <laughs> either way, I love him more. <laughs> of all of the powers... <laughs> That could unite, like going to Middle America or like Texas or whatever. I mean, look at my son; he has angel wings. Yeah, he becomes like the statuesque, blonde hair, blue eyed kid with angel wings. Like, come on! <laughs> I will say, so I hate Angel in this movie. I hate that he's in it. I hate what they do with him. But when those wings pop out and then he uses them and he escapes and flies off, I'm like, those wings are. Dope. Whoever like yeah. designed them, whoever animated them in CG or whatever, like they did an excellent job because they rule. Yeah, that moment where he breaks the, yeah. the harness that's on him and he's standing there and we get that wide shot. Like, I like that. I think that's a good image for yeah. what's happening here. Yeah, he's a But unleashed. it's just not it's, everything yeah. around and, like, it, not the great. The physics of him flying are really cool. Yes. 
We get to see Leech in his cage watching the yeah, guy fly away. Yeah, like, the thing is, it's like, symbolism. you know, typically when you see Angel, it's mostly been in comics. And so at this point... So he's like, not even in the cartoon very much. No. So he's one of the ones they kind of left out, really. I don't even know if he ever appears in the cartoon, does he? Yeah, I think it's just the during the apocalypse thing, because they're like, well, we can't do this without Archangel. He's like... <laughs> The most popular yeah. character from the storyline. But yeah, you know, you, when you see it in the comics, it's all in still frames. So you're not really seeing him moving. It looks like he's just sort of dive bombing all the time. Right. And so here, yeah. seeing him moving and seeing his wings move and it's like a bird is like, beautiful. it's yeah, it's beautiful. It's really cool. It's one I of the only moments it. of the movie that is like kind yeah. of has that beautiful kind of Jurassic Park. Yes. Kind of. Yeah. It's got a good yeah. score behind it. Absolutely. Like. The moment works really well, but everything before him jumping yeah, out of that yeah. glass doesn't work very well. It's dumbed down, and it just yeah. feels like oh, yeah, I'm watching any other fun Memorial Day action movie, you yeah. know? Yeah. It feels like there's like 20 minutes of character stuff just missing from this movie to make a bunch of the stuff work. Uh, I mean, it is the shortest X-Men movie, so. It's kind of refreshing to watch a movie that was under two hours. <laughs> first time in sure. a while. Fair enough. <laughs> then the next scene we get is Wolverine and Jean scene, where... They almost hook up. It's yeah, they, they almost get freaky on that steel yep. table. You know, it is interesting how Famke Jamsen is really given something to chew on for the first time in these movies. Mm-hmm. Like a fun. It sucks that it's like they kind of they take the concept of Dark Phoenix and like, oh, so she's like a super seductress now, right? Yeah, she's just like yeah. she can't control her carnal yeah ambitions and they she wants to yeah they play this weird thing where they're like wolverine is tame and she's wild and free and like you used to be right that's the line but yeah oh please yeah yeah that's the line that i think like hits it on the head a little bit about like what's why wolverine feels weird in this movie she's like he tamed you and it's just like that's the thing that like why wolverine feels weird in this movie because he does feel like he's turned down from his normal like 10 to like a six Mm -hmm. it is weird though they were like he's tamed you but i don't know because he seems well, he does run off. He does, like, fuck everyone and, like, runs off. Yeah. And he just murders people. Like, <laughs> Oh, we'll get into that. Oh, yeah, I have a lot of opinion on that. But I like when her power explodes and, like, Wolverine goes through the wall. But, yeah, I don't know. I think Dark Phoenix is a difficult character to make interesting, mm-hmm. is what I've learned mm-hmm. by experiencing the story, like, four times now. I like Phoenix, you know, again, when she's, like, flying through space, being like, oh, I'm a god. Yeah. What yeah. does that mean? And like where that story ends is beautiful because Gene chooses to die a human instead of live as a god. Yeah. But all right. of that gets lost in this version now. And it's just like, this is my crazy personality that I've always had inside of me. Yeah. <laughs> right. This is who I really am. It's like her drunk uh, persona. Like that's drunk Monica. Yeah. 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 Drunk Monica. God. Yeah. Because I think this scene with them in this room is pretty well acted. Mm-hmm. A lot of the emotions that they're like going for in the yeah. scene work i mean like, is excellent in this movie it's just that yeah. none of it amounts to anything unfortunately because the purpose of it isn't figured out they even know? turn dark yeah, phoenix like, into just yeah. another thing for wolverine to deal with right right yeah right yeah no 18 to 25 year old me though i was just like famke jensen oh my god <laughs> sure oh yeah i think this is weirdly the most chemistry they've had in the whole series yeah yeah it definitely is their chemistry has escalated each movie they have the most in this yeah. movie for sure. Right. Like so it feels right that like they continue to do more with them because these two actors clearly can work well with yeah. each other. Yeah. And then we get her begging him to kill her. For the first time. So yeah, so then she bails. Xavier knows where she is. What have and, you done? And such Matt- a dick with the first yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I mean. He's such an asshole in this movie. I, I really don't like it at all. God. 
And then Magneto simultaneously senses where she is with his mutant buddy. With speedy scanner lady. Maya his, from Heroes. His, yeah, his little cerebro. You're my little cerebro. <laughs> so they both show up at Jean's house at the same time and go in her house, and no one's living there, apparently. That was, it said gray on the mailbox, but like, yeah, they were all gone. Yeah. I've always taken this to mean that she went home and killed her parents and she's just sitting in that room alone. Yeah, maybe. What if Stanley and Chris Claremont were still doing lawn work? <laughs> yeah. Right, it's only been like 10 years, yeah. yeah. I think the Dark yeah. Phoenix saga in any iteration is that it's least interesting mm-hmm. when it's two characters fighting over who gets to control the Dark Phoenix. Yes. And Dark Phoenix is just like this passive character that just like oh now i like you now i like you and they do it in all of them because it's either the hellfire club Mm -hmm. or it's jessica chastain Mm -hmm. or it's cyclops it's always the part where i kind of disengage the most from the story yeah yeah when they start treating the phoenix force as a weapon rather than a person yeah yeah she becomes this sort of ingenue innocent like a born sexy yesterday kind of vibe yeah classic like joss whedon yeah yeah sexy born yesterday yeah there's a little bit of like Joan of Arc kind of stuff mm-hmm. with like the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is some cool it. stuff in this uh, house scene, though. I've always been a fan of Storm's like tornado move when she tornadoes down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Xavier gets uh, torn apart. Oh, we get the really cool Texas switch in the Juggernaut Wolverine fight when Wolverine gets like thrown up a wall and then falls down. But it's like the stunt guy. And then Juggernaut runs and like kicks him. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I guess I didn't clock it, but yeah, you're right. That, that is a pretty good one. It's so funny. Like when we get to the end of this movie and we're at the funeral and it's just like a line of bodies, like, <laughs> you know, everyone like, who died. It's just like, we killed a lot of people <laughs> in this movie. Like this, that's why it's the last stand. Cause everybody's dead. So unlike the death of Cyclops, uh, the death of professor Xavier is treated like a big, huge event. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And he even gets like final eye contact with Logan before mm-hmm. exploding. Yes. And yeah, I remember the audience was like, what what's happening? This is crazy. Yeah. Right. And Ian McKellen is there to like sell the moment like from inside the scene, like in the room and everything. I yeah, I like how it's kind of Magneto's fault. Mhm. And he's like, "Oh, yep. cr- I played too hard." And him burying it just in time to counsel phoenix like it's okay child but like clearly rattled because like his best friend just died yeah right it bubbles up again with pyro like 10 minutes from now in the movie yeah yeah yeah. in general like when i saw this in theaters this was the turning point for everyone i remember someone like audibly being like what the fuck just like audibly like couldn't believe that this was happening (laughs) yeah i think his death works better than scott's death for me oh yeah I agree. Uh, As presented, certainly. It's like a good surprise, a good shock. It is. It's just, it's a lot, and it's weird because it's it's hard to picture the X-Men without Xavier. You know, he's such an iconic part of, like... Mm. Well, weirdly, that's sort of what Gifted deals with, except he's not dead. He's, like, away. Right. And it's like, okay, now Scott, Emma Frost... Beast, Kitty Pride, you're the new faculty, and we're like, oh, we've never done this before. I mean, I think it's cool that this movie's kind of setting up that Storm is going to be the next like leader of the team. Yes. Oh, God, that heartbreaking part where he's like, Storm, I'm thinking about you being the leader, and she's like, what about Scott? And Brezzo's like, Scott's changed. <laughs> Scott's... Uh... <laughs> I, I I wouldn't say that he was anyone's favorite, would you? <laughs> he's, I don't I don't think he has the temper. He's, he's still <laughs> sad about his girlfriend, 
dying in Alkali Lake for some reason. <laughs> Shouldn't we? We've moved on, but for some reason he hasn't, and it's his fault. <laughs> and Storm's like, shouldn't we give him time to heal? He's had enough He's had time. It's been five years. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> we get his enormous tombstone with the eternal flame. Mm-hmm. I like Storm's eulogy. I remember digging it in the theater. Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, it's a required thing because everyone, I just remember being in total shock the first time they were watching this. Yeah. 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 You have to have immediately have closure on his death in the movie yeah, yeah. so that people can like recover from that. And right. On. And to counter that with the Cyclops death where like it takes until the scene we were talking about, the sexy scene with Jean Grey and Wolverine, mm-hmm. where Wolverine's like, wait, where's Scott? Yeah. Where, where's Cyclops? <laughs> like He's dead. He's been dead for like a day. <laughs> right. She rips his belt off with her telekinetics and he's just like. Wait, where's Scott? <laughs> it made me think of that deleted you scene. You took off my belt. That reminds me. Where's, where's Scott? Scott? <laughs> if we're going to do this, where's Scott? Yeah. I need to rub this in his face. Like you told me last week uh, that, Scott, there was this thing where Cyclops and Professor X, their whole arc that was deleted out of X-Men 2 was them flashbacking towards who they were to each other. Like, you were like a son to me and whatnot. And yeah. like, I know that was exercised. It's just a shame. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, little that comes into play. And I like how it shows like how the death affects the younger mutants, losing Professor X, this like father figure. Meanwhile, the cure is escalating all of the tension surrounding the cure. And Magneto is starting to threaten America. Oh, uh, is the video on TV? Yeah. You're, you yeah. will not be safe. I believe this is the scene where Pyro and Iceman have it out, right? Yeah, that the protest. Yeah, at the protest. They have their little conversation. Yeah, you're such a coward, Bobby. Where he calls him. He's he's like, uh, make a move, Ice Man. Yeah, like, yeah. He called yeah. him the thing. <laughs> That's right. all we used. And then to he need. blows up a building that has a bunch of innocent people inside. Yeah, yeah. He walks away. I remember back in 06 being like, oh, this isn't going to satisfy me in the way that I wanted it to. Yeah, because these aren't acting like the characters that we left in X Men Two. They're kind of just a little more like obtuse, a little more broad yeah yeah now pyro's just yeah. like a dick there's no nuance to it they're not developing it anymore right right i think anna paquin does a really good job with her arc and her like struggle oh yeah that's true we haven't talked a lot about her but yeah you know everything with her struggle of like i want to <laughs> i want to touch my boyfriend i want to touch my boyfriend i want to be able to touch someone without killing them <laughs> yeah. yeah and that's another thing yeah. you know storm's complete lack of of empathy for like why anyone else, including Hank or Rogue, would want the cure is just so right? dumb. Yeah, it's so dumb. You're a literal when, when, weather god, Storm. Like, come on. <laughs> Have some empathy for people not as gifted. He, she's like talking to Rogue about this and also not touching her, carefully not touching her, because <laughs> if she does, like, you know, the Rogue curse yeah. would kill Storm. On, on the one hand, you're saying like there's nothing wrong with her. On the other hand, Obviously, something is wrong with her, you know? Like, right. And it doesn't seem like anyone is in a rush to, like, try and help Rogue in terms of figuring out how her powers work. Can That's she why control she's there. them? Yeah, can she control them in any way whatsoever? Or is it just a lost cause? Yeah. It's been six years. Yeah. Also, like, it, it causes another thing, too, because, like, if Professor X and Jean Grey, I guess, can, like, put blocks on people's powers psychically. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He can also help Rogue. Theoretically, yeah. yeah. And it's why I don't think the audience ever is against Rogue during this movie. I like the scene where, like, after Professor X's funeral, Bobby visits Kitty. I think Bobby has the coolest casual power use in these movies. Yeah. I will always remember the Ice Rose. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. 
Yeah. And when she's like, oh, I'm in Chicago, I miss the snow. And then Rogue sees it. And I really appreciate how you buy where all three of these characters are coming from. Like, Bobby doesn't seem like a dick. I don't think Kitty seems too much like the other. And you appreciate where Rogue is, too. It just seems like human. Yeah. yeah. Watching these movies, like, I know some people are just, like, really against, like, any member of the X-Men crew wanting the cure. And it's just like, think about who Rogue is in these movies. Yeah. 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 She absolutely would. Yeah. We are introduced to her, like... Killing her first boyfriend, almost. Is the last scene where Magneto uh, moves the chess piece, is that how they establish that Rogue comes back in Days of Future Past with her powers intact? It must be. Yeah. Apparently. I never read this in the movie, but according to Simon Kinberg, that scene with Magneto is supposed to be significantly sometime after X-Men 3. Oh, so, so the cure just lasted for... Yes. A period of time and then it faded. It faded away. Yeah. I always read that as like literally the morning after the movie. Oh, okay. Okay. But it's supposed to be like. I don't think I ever read it as that soon. I think I read it as maybe a few months. Okay. Wow. So that's sometime between this and the Wolverine. So that really sucks because, yeah, Mystique eventually would have gotten her powers back. Oh, just imagine, like, the relationships advance and, like, progress and, like, everyone gets older. Mm -hmm. Rogue wakes up next to Bobby and the cure is worn off. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. Well, he... That's a nightmare. That is. Well, he's alive, too. So, I guess it it wasn't fatal. Yeah. Whatever happened. Whatever that discovery was like. (laughs) Oh, boy. Pulling back and then making the cure temporary also, like causes way more questions about like what's going to happen and down the line. I, I'm so tempted to say you could skip this one, but you can't mm-hmm. because so much happens. Okay, so here's another problem I have with this movie. So the X-Mansion is in New York. The yeah. end of this movie is in San Francisco, literally as far away from New York in continental America as you can be. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And Magneto is in the woods, but somewhere where it where looks, is he, is it he? looks to me like california yeah like northern california maybe? right well i mean it yeah. looks like canada but that's true because it is yeah <laughs> yeah like vancouver or whatever yeah, right? yeah it absolutely looks like a vancouver forest but yeah i just couldn't couldn't quite clock where everyone was located because the x jet's really handy because you know that it's just super fast right right they're super fast jet technology that they seem to refuse to share with the government, which would probably buy them a lot of brownie points if they did. (laughs) Or the danger room. Yeah, or the danger room. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, who made that? How did that happen? (laughs) I have questions. Yeah, Yeah. who built it? Was it Hank? I don't know. Is Forge kicking around here somewhere? Ah, Forge. Forge. I live in the basement. Nobody talks to me, but I'm Forge. Here's an iPod. (laughs) <laughs> I make all the shit these kids use to learn. Yeah, oh, that would be such a great reveal. It's just been, who, it's been forged the I, I whole time. I want to know who makes all this technology. I also want to know who's making their suits. Yeah, where are those coming from? Oh, what what right? do we think of the uh, the color in the suits? Like with Kitty, you have like kind of a pink or purple. So I think that the color in the suits and the lines of the suit is cool. It's a cool throwback cool. to like mm-hmm. their comic book counterpart. But Kitty doesn't have a pink costume. It's literally just pink because Kitty's a girl, yeah. and it sucks. I I, I hate yeah. her. Isn't Kitty's costume like white or white and black? It changes depending all the time. on where you are. It like changes constantly. She has a black outfit with pink accents in X Men Unlimited too, doesn't she? I, maybe I don't know. I just think of her being like yellow. Yeah, but I think Kitty probably think of like yellow. Mm. And sometimes she has like the mask with the hair like jutting out. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 But she's never been pink. 
Definitely not full pink. I'm think I don't think Rogue is pink, right? Is Rogue I think Rogue's white. Rogue has white, yeah. Matches her hair. Colossus, I don't remember what his color was. I know yellow is Wolverine and Colossus? blue is Bobby. Does he have a line of dialogue? No. No. I don't think so. <laughs> Isn't that weird that he's in it more than X Men two, but he has less lines? Maybe the actor couldn't do a Russian accent. Hello. Yeah. And then how do you explain that? Like, how'd they find this? Where'd they find this kid and bring him to the Institute if he's Russian? I feel like he <laughs> they talks. They started fighting me and then I helped them later. I feel like he talks at some point, but I don't remember what it was. I cannot think of it. Yeah, if I it can't happens, think of it. It's it very little. It definitely was not memorable, whatever it is. Anyway, Wolverine goes to the forest and fights Magneto. And just slaughters. <laughs> like 15 guys? 15 mutants. <laughs> yeah. Specifically. Yeah. yeah. It feels like the Wolverine in X Men 2 wouldn't just go into a forest and just like smoke other mutants yeah on the offense yeah you know in x2 he was protecting children Mm -hmm. yeah these people were coming with guns and he was oh i don't care who you are you know those were like presumably u.s soldiers or military people but i don't something about this feels really like from another movie or like some time has passed where maybe he's killed mutants already and now he doesn't yeah. yeah. Like, so I get the sense for the scene. He wasn't going there with the intention of fighting anyone. Okay. He was there yeah. to get Gene. He got caught by the guy that can grow bone spikes. Yeah. And apparently throw them hard enough to get stuck in Wolverine. He also does that move that he did in X2 with the guys that break into the uh, X mansion. Oh, where he, he lets himself get stabbed? Yeah, yeah. He lets himself oh, get yeah. stabbed, but also stabs somebody like directly into the chest and then just stares at them as the life leaves their eyes. The Wolverine that's, special. Right? That's the Wolverine special. Yeah. <laughs> right. Ah, oh, I live for this shit. Oh, that <laughs> that's who Logan really is. That's Weapon X on the inside. The part where his skin's peeling off, but he's still lumbering towards Gene is pretty cool. But mm-hmm. when the two spikes are just on those lower abs mm-hmm. and he has to yank them out mm-hmm. is like classic Hugh Jackman Wolverine. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. good. What is it? The the bullet healing out of him is the thing I'll always remember uh, about yeah. Wolverine's healing factor stuff. Yeah. From X2. Yeah. It's some yeah. solid Wolverine action. So I don't want to I don't want to knock the scene completely, right. but it just felt kind of off to me. It some. definitely does. I mean, a lot of things feel pretty off. Because the movie feels so much like it's trying to be good guys, bad guys, like really explicitly in like the things that they do. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, ah, we'll just show Wolverine kill like 15 guys in the woods. And then no one hears any of that. And he just grabs a hoodie off a tent and joins this meeting. Yeah. You like, know what? <laughs> it's ironic that now we're now six years out from Brian Singer, who saw such, you know, weighty, serious themes inside of these stories and was committed to like taking it really seriously and now this is like pierce brosnan bond movie where he's just like murkin indiscriminate stunt guys dressed as like mutants yeah yeah there's a version of this movie that is directed by brian singer that is only about the cure and is a greatest band ever is like an alley yeah (laughs) only about robert smith um and the and the the allegory of it is conversion therapy yeah. You know, this is a disease. We can make it go away. We can make it go away. And their argument is like, well, it's us. We don't want it to go away. And that's it. And that's the movie. Mm-hmm. And then people like right. Rogue that offer different points of view. It's like, well, that doesn't apply to me because like I, I you know, my life, I want stuff. And my, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, absolutely. I think this will give me a better life. I want to change into the person I want to be. Yeah. Shouldn't I have that choice? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. Uh, oh well. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So like, there's more to that. Yeah. Like, there's a there's a better movie if you don't 
do the Phoenix thing at all and didn't have the Phoenix tease at the end of X2. Yeah, he, he goes through this all this trouble. We get a really cool Magneto speech on top of a hill, mm-hmm. which was in all the trailers, yeah. and got me pumped because it felt like the realization of the war that he's been heralding since X-Men 1 is finally mm-hmm. here. Right. Ian McKellen is so good as Magneto. Yeah. He, he really, is. really is. He is. And and you're right. It does seem like it's going to be a culmination of that. But man, when we get to it, it's some weak ass shit. No, absolutely. 100%. 100%. <laughs> yeah. I was bored when I was watching the climax, like rewatching this movie. Yeah. Uh, and Phoenix the whole time is just like Bane. A prop. Just yeah. a prop. Yeah. The movie is like, well, we don't know what to do with it right now. I think the movie is trying to treat her like a prop in like a thematic way to like underline Magneto's motivations. Mm -hmm. But because her character itself isn't well established, like going into everything, those thematics just fall flat. Like Mm -hmm. if she was better established and like more was done with Jean Grey across all three movies, Mm -hmm. that would have a lot more impact with people. Yeah. When like we see that shot where he talks about weapons and looks at her and then looks back at the crowd, Mm -hmm. like that would play better. Yeah, yeah, losing her off and on throughout this movie where the movie just doesn't know what to do with her. They're like, okay, we've set up the ending and now she just has to be there for 40 minutes. It, yeah. It's very similar to like what happened with Harry Osborn in, in, in Spider-Man 3 where they're like, he has to get amnesia because we can't deal with him for like an hour. Like we just need to put him on ice for a while. So he gets amnesia. <laughs> But we get that cute rom-com scene. Yeah, right. But like that's right. But that's the thing. It's like they're just like we don't know what to do with him right now, so we're just gonna put him on ice. Yeah. And it's the same thing here. Mm-hmm. We learn will be a setup reminding the viewer that Magneto can just like shove Wolverine out of the way. Yeah, because he, yes, you know, control yeah. metal. Right. And he doesn't do it to Colossus, um, and then, and then which a little... is like why? Why does he do that Colossus <laughs> at any point? That's true. Never thought about that. Yeah. It's not metal, it's my skin. And then a little later, we get uh, the multiple man fake out, which is pretty good. Weirdly, I think the most heroic act of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah? He, he sacrifices himself for his friends. Yeah, he's going to get captured. But... You know they tagged him. You know they shot him. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hey, guys. Um, looking for me? Yeah. yeah. Good on you, multiple man. No, it's good. And then while he Oh, has you know, them... he probably would have died, too, if he had you know made it to the battle. Oh, true. And then while he has them distracted... Magneto and the Brotherhood uh, go and attack the Golden Gate Bridge in what Brett Ratner <laughs> believed would be the greatest moment of his directorial career. Yeah, um, is when, the sequence. When in actuality, it's like the one of the very first scenes in Rush Hour Two where they're singing Beach Boys <laughs> together to show that now they're best friends. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, I like this. Oh, it's so cool! In 06, it felt yeah. like the pinnacle of movie special effects. Of like, whoa, yeah. they can do anything. <laughs> this is like. The most powerful single act by a mutant anywhere in any of these first three movies. Mm-hmm. Movie The Golden Gate Bridge, this thing is gigantic. <laughs> yeah. I think he's selling it. It is a little like, well, like, what can't he do at this point? Or sure. like, yeah. It would have been even cool to show, like, even like an old fashioned, like, nosebleed, j- just to yeah. show, like, I have never done something like this before. Right. You know? Right. Or like, they could have built, like, a little pyro moment there, too, because, like, he could have gone to collapse and pyro could have caught him. Like, he oh, could do yeah. things like that, like, little stuff. Yeah, just to show that this isn't because yeah, like he even makes like a little like Charles always said he wanted to build bridges and like <laughs> the little quip, you know, oh, my friend boy. that exploded in front of me. Yeah, I'm and still I'm... really sad about that on the inside, as I told Pyro a few minutes. <laughs> but I'm ago. still going to dunk on him. <laughs> <laughs> he was still wrong and still a nerd. <laughs> um, and then we get uh, the, the the family 
that locks locks themselves in. Right. A little joke. That makes me laugh every time. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. So anyway, so they attack Alcatraz. The X-Men are like, oh, shit, we have to stop it. And and they roll up. Terrible wire work. Okay, yeah. So we finally, so Beast is in his jacket and we get like the old school. It almost looks like um, new X-Men style kind of jacket. Yeah, a little bit. It's all black leather, but yeah. Whereas like that has like the cool like yellow in it. As they're rolling out, Bobby's like, there's only six of us. And Wolverine gives this like speech where it's like, this is it. This is what it's all been building up to. It's our last stand. It's our last stand. Scott's dead. And I don't know. It's here that, like you said, like we've been talking about kind of for these first three movies. We really don't have a sense of who these people are as a team, unfortunately. No. Yeah. Because a lot of this movie has been them like going off on their own stuff. Yeah. And it feels like they wanted Um, to show that like there's a team here, like with the way the first scene goes. But then there's not a middle scene. Uh, to like yeah. get you to the ending where they're all a team like there's nothing in the middle to like make it work mm-hmm. yeah we do get to the hold the line moment and the final battle of what at the time was this like trilogy of movies mm-hmm. is just like bad wire work <laughs> mutants just like leaping on all fours Le- into the air yeah, yeah. and like, and then just getting shot and, and yeah. hitting the ground okay so yeah we get magneto saying in chess the pawns go first oof which is like really straight out of what you were saying earlier about like we have to make him a bad guy now because he was too yeah likable overcorrect into like full Machiavellian like yeah that's that's what happens to him in this movie yeah. it, it, it feels like kind of how we criticize uh, a lot of like MCU villains where it's like oh this really interesting point of view I wonder how they're going to challenge the care oh they they kill people and that's right. bad. Right, because I love Magneto. He's my favorite X-Men character, actually. Yeah, Mm. he's brilliant. And especially in the books where you get to see the glimmer of who he could be if he wasn't a villain. Yeah. Yeah, I love anytime we get Magneto caring for and leading people earnestly is like my favorite X-Men shit. Yeah, this bullshit of like, you know. And Chess the Pons go first. It sucks. It fucking sucks. And it's not something Magneto would ever do. Yeah, there are definitely times where he takes actions that are like that, but he's not motivated by that principle. I don't even have an issue with the line. It's that he's talking about mutants when he says that. Unimportant yeah. mutants. Magneto doesn't believe any mutant is yeah. unimportant. He told Pyro. He's, he's a survival of the Holocaust. He doesn't yeah. believe in like tiered races like right. this. Yeah, not absolutely. in that way. Right. Yeah, it feels like a dumb action movie line in a dumb action movie. If anything, what... It should be is there is a mutant who can control humans and he sends the controlled humans in first. They're the pawns. And then even John or Pyro can be like, you know, those are people. And he's like, no, they're homo sapiens. Right. Gene could have been that mutant to do that in this scene. Yeah. There's ways to fix this where, where, you know, the movie would be elevated at least to like, well, you know, it's not as good as the other two, but like, it's Like Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Right, right, like Return of the Jedi, absolutely. Where there's yeah. like, oh, there's really good stuff in here. There's also some questionable stuff, but, you know, it all works. But, you know, but they nail Luke and Vader and the Emperor. Yeah. So, like, you remember yeah. that movie really strongly. Right, totally, right. totally. Well, that's because they had Steven Spielberg direct that stuff. Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> yep. Maybe if they hadn't have been hell-bent on releasing this Memorial Day 06. Yeah, this movie would have benefited from being delayed a year. Yeah, of people like, oh, wait, that line is, like, completely betrays the Magneto that we've spent two movies with, you know? But it sets up where he's going to be playing chess at the end. (laughs) Yeah, he loves chess. Uh, We get Wolverine versus guy who can grow back 
body parts except for his nuts. <laughs> try try growing Dude. that back. You're dead. 2000s comedy. Uh, for uh, sure. Oh, if, if we don't mind just jumping around through the battle. I don't remember like the order yeah. of stuff. Oh, whatever. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, Kitty Pride gets her big, but she goes after Leech and she's running. And, you know, yeah. it sounds simple, like, you know, running through walls, but like they pull it off really well. Yeah. Yeah. I like the sequence. Yeah. 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 And then we get the meme. <laughs> so, yeah. So we get, oh, okay, yeah, I'm the Juggernaut, which I wasn't on the internet yet. I didn't have broadband, so I didn't know what that was. I, I was on the internet to know what that was at the time. I and at the time, I thought it was funny. I <laughs> fucking hate it. I hate it so much. It's so fucking stupid. That's the kind of nod to fans that's like, too much. No. Yeah, because it's not even a nod to fans. It's not like X-Men fans are a big fan of that meme. It's an internet meme. It's not... The fact yeah. that it's X-Men has nothing to do with anything, really. You know? I would have yeah. been a fan, though, if in the Steven Sommers first G.I. Joe movie, if Channing Tatum would have been like, pork chop sandwiches. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah. okay, oh, so the thing I never got before until today or last night mm-hmm. is when Kitty gets Leech and Juggernaut's like cornered them because like the powers won't work. And she's like, who's hiding, dickhead? I always thought that was just Kitty being like a punk teenager. Yeah. But now I'm like, oh, it's a joke about his helmet. Yeah, his like helmet makes him look like a dick. Never yeah. got it before. It's yeah. like, it's the hood of a dick. Yeah, he looks yeah. like a dickhead. But Kitty had like turned to Leech and was like, it's because he look, it kind of looks like the head of a dick. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's why his helmet looks like that. Someone wrote that <laughs> joke and they're just like, what if we make that more literal? Let's yeah. like work backwards. God, um, and awful. then he, he runs headfirst into the wall. Yeah, it's cool. As I said in X Men One, Shadowcat, uh, aka Kitty Pride, aka Captain Kate, is is my favorite X Man. Uh huh. And it's because she's not a fighter, but by the time we get to like her being like a teacher, she's like, I I know how to handle myself. Yeah. And like the way she uses her powers, stop Juggernaut, the most powerful mutant ever. I was like, oh, that's a cool, that's a cool moment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like her power set is one that can be used really inventively for combat. People that watch uh, My Hero Academia see that in Mirio Tagata, Lamillion. Oh, uh, yeah. Because that's what his power is. He mm-hmm. has Kitty Pride's power. Mm-hmm. Beast cures Magneto. Oh, my audience lost it when this happened. Yeah. I yeah, mine too. too. Yeah. It's probably the purest X-Men thing they ever do. And I think that's why they make him such a dick, is to uh, make this moment be like, no, he deserves this. Not tragic. Yeah, it's not tragic. Yeah. It's like, no, this is what he deserves. Remember how he treated Mystique? Fuck him. Fuck this guy. It's better if it's tragic. It is better Uh, if it's tragic. The score, I always thought was really beautiful in this moment because it it sounds like something out of a monster movie. Mm -hmm. If you're watching like Frankenstein, like burn to death or something, the monster, where you're like, you are a little sad to see like King Kong die. Yeah. Yeah. And seeing this, it is the only part of the trilogy that feels like the ring melting. Yeah. Of like, oh, that's how his story ends. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. Right. Yeah, this yeah. moment should be as tragic for the audience as it is for Beast to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 But the way that they, like, Kelsey Grammer plays it, it's just like, that's right, bitch. Like, that's uh-huh. kind of, <laughs> that's more his, like, energy at the moment. I've known you since the Cuba. <laughs> Fucking right, got like, you. Because, <laughs> like, you could do more with Hank McCoy if he's, like, supposed to be part of, like, the original team and everything with all this. And we yeah. established at the beginning of the movie right. that, like, yeah, him Jean and Gray was recruited when yeah. they were still, a- Charles and, and Eric were still a team. Eric would have been one of Hank's teachers when he was a student. Yeah. We could have done more with this they, relationship. They stopped the yeah. Cuban Missile Crisis together. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah, they did. Yeah. Oh, boy. And then as things are, like, wrapping up, 
we have uh, Phoenix losing it. So what I really hate about this, yeah, and it's it's again oh, here's some other stuff too. Yeah, but oh, go but, ahead. <laughs> and it's again, it's something that I, I wasn't aware of until I, I read the the book for the first time. Mm-hmm. Is the climax of Dark Phoenix Saga, as I kind of said, is Jean making the choice, yeah, to to die as Jean Grey instead of living as as the Phoenix, yeah. And so, like after she dies, Scott realizes is like, oh, she planned this from the beginning, yeah. She put us here. This was all her thing. Oh, Jean, you're the best because, like, of course you would choose this. Yeah. I love you, yeah. And. In this, it's like Wolverine has to tragically murder the woman that he loves. And what kills me about that is, no, he fucking doesn't. There's cures everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Yep, yep there he is. Doesn't have I was to, thinking that too. He doesn't have to kill her. Because he's just, not the Phoenix Force anymore. No, he just stabbed her with the, the cure. Just fucking just movie. had one in his pocket. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the imagery is so arresting of like her on top of the hill, yeah, and, he, and he's like dying for her, and his skin is showing, yeah, and whatever. But yeah, yeah. Like, but you can until still do you that. take a breath and think about it, the moment works, and then as soon as you take a breath to think about it, <laughs> imagine that reveal of like it plays the same way, uh, yeah, and he goes and he gets her. And you're like, and she has the shock on her face, and then he pulls away, and you realize he didn't pop his claws. He got her with the cure. Yeah. That yeah. would have been such a good moment. And now it's like, I don't have my yeah. powers, and he's like, I. That's all. I, the only thing I could think of. I didn't want you to die. Yeah. Right. And, and if we can figure it out later, if they start to come back. Yeah. And now we know the cure fades after a few. Years. <laughs> Unlike Storm, I didn't want you to die. Yeah, Storm was right. all in with me killing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We For really real. need to sit down with her and talk about <laughs> that. Storm straight up ices that girl in this fight. Uh, her yeah. her lip ring is red hot after she is shocked by Storm. That girl is dead. Yeah. If this whole movie, you're like, what does the cure have to do with the Phoenix? What does any of this have to do? And then at the end of the movie, you're like, oh, that's how they connect because it's the only way they could have stopped Phoenix. Right. Yeah. Every, Perfect. Every right. comic book nerd knows that this story ends with Jean Grey dying. Yeah. But in our version. So she has to die. Right. Yeah. But in this version... <laughs> She is a human, but she's running Xavier's school for him because Wolverine's like, I'm not a teacher. I can't do that. Right. Yeah. And Jean is Jean again. She's not a psychopath. She doesn't have powers. Right. Yeah. But Storm she- leads the X-Men. Jean leads the school. Fucking perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. it that's better because the Phoenix stuff is not great. <laughs> and so we get fucking rat. <sighs> You had stuff on him, didn't I you? I did. There's oh. a, so there's a story that Elliot Page shared in... Like, oh, right. I remember when this broke. Yeah. Oh, yeah. this is a while ago, right? Yeah, this is a few yeah. years ago. He apparently really early on in filming, Brett Ratner made some like shitty joke, like trying to be funny of like, I know you're gay. And Elliot wasn't out yet. Yeah. And so in the statement that he released was like, that fucked with me. And I would hear his voice because I was like dealing with so much shame and stuff it even affected like his like place in the industry. Yeah. Of like, do I want to yeah. be in this? Like he's the director. Yeah. And he yeah. did that. And Anna Paquin like quote tweeted it and she was like, yeah, I was there. Fuck. But as we saw it, he, yeah, like you said, Scott, he was like the, the rapper at, and by the trash can of names they went after. Yeah. The very, very, very last. Yeah. 
they would have taken anyone else ahead of him. Honestly, probably only did it because he was available. Like that's, that's what probably, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. That's probably the only like who's available. Right. Uh, Ratner's available. He has those Rush Hour movies that are popular. Fucking whatever. He we was like he was this close to directing Flyby. Yeah, the Superman movie right. that J.J. Abrams was trying to make. Right, right. So they were probably just yeah. like, yeah, I guess, fucking get him. Or they um, could have just de- delayed the movie a year and let the guy direct it. They they were gonna have direct it. <laughs> Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. So we get the awkward, like you said, all of the tombstones together, Fuck. and it's like Gene, Scott, Charles. Yeah. It's like his face, <laughs> yeah. profile. It's like a coin. Like, yeah. It looks like, a, like what you would mint on a coin. And that's the money we're going to have when mutants <laughs> rule the earth. <laughs> In a very, very telling X moment. Bucks. <laughs> we'll call them X-Bucks, Gene. <laughs> a very telling moment. The Kind of the final scene of the movie before the the tags is Logan by himself standing outside of the school shoulders crossed being like wow what a journey I've been on as the camera zooms out see you next summer yeah then we'll see where his story began (laughs) and then we got the Magneto tag Mm. well first Beast gets a promotion from secretary of, of mutant affairs to mutant ambassador for the United Nations which really, I guess it's a promotion, but it feels lateral to me. It just feels like they're realizing that mutants aren't an American thing. They're an international thing. It's actually, thing. there's something really realistic about the government being like, I know what we need, one token mutant yes. to shove all of yep. our problems onto. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You speak for the entire mutant community, right, Hank? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm 58 and a white guy. <laughs> but I sure. know I don't look like it right now. Yeah, but. Underneath all, but rest assured, rest assured, everyone. Underneath all this fur, Hank is white. <laughs> if uh, if the way he talks doesn't give it away, <laughs> but yeah, then we get the we get the Magneto bit, which is we've talked about, and mm. then uh, and then yeah, the Charles post credit scene. So my question, yes, to to both of you, what I'm what I'm piecing together in my mind is that Charles is possessing this body, yes, that has never had consciousness, right. And using his powers is making everyone around him for the rest of the series see Patrick Stewart. Correct. But it's actually like... Some dude. Some guy. Yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. that kind of where we're all at? I, I feel like that's what's going on. Yeah. That, it's the only thing that c- could explain it. Which means that every time Magneto puts on his helmet, he sees that weird... The guy. Oh, that's the right. The guy that he's... Oh, pos- oh that's right. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, right, because it just blocks it blocks Charles' powers. So, yeah, he yeah. just puts it on. He's just like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> yeah. Whoa, oh, yeah. Whoa. Oh, God, I forget Jesus every Christ. time. I every time me. I forget. It's me. <laughs> this is weird every time, Charles. I really wish that you would just get plastic surgery or something. He's, I think he's in that body longer than his Patrick Stewart body. Because, yeah. like, Logan's, like, what, like 2030 something? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. God, that's well, so weird. It, doesn't, yeah. it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really feel like they are are mostly just pretending this movie doesn't exist. Like it's not canon. Yeah, they, they must be. They well, they deal with what they have to deal with. Yeah, which is like, oh, like how do we deal with everyone finding out that Professor X is alive and Magneto has his powers again? It's basically like we have to retcon this, right? That's all. It they is. left the door open for like potential retcons, like I guess, with the way that this movie ends. 
I guess I don't get why they wanted this to be the last stand. Why did this have to be the end of a trilogy? <clears throat> because that's what you did. That's you didn't you did. have like long ongoing series. It was just, oh, we did a trilogy. Like that's how you knew that it was it was elevated. Yes. It was Yeah, there's a Patrick Williams video yeah, about right. it. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was it was just suffering from that. I mean, they knew full well they were developing the Wolverine origin movie simultaneously. That's what's so which it's was like, a prequel. Yeah. Right. We're like, well, this is the future. And that's the thing. They're all prequels, except for half of Days of Future Past and Logan and the Wolverine. The Wolverine is the first time that we get a sequel to this movie is the Wolverine. It really hobbled the franchise in a pretty significant way. Yeah. We never this is just how movies were planned. You just planned trilogies. You didn't plan to do like an eight movie franchise. Right. Yeah. You never got like an X-Men four. No. I remember thinking about that when this movie came out is like I had always kind of wanted a movie that like really explored like what happened when Xavier woke up in that new body. What can we do with that as like a story to jump a movie with to to jump off for a whole movie? Because I would eat that shit up. (laughs) I want to know what the hell the plan was. Like, why is it there? Why is the scene there? What was the point? (laughs) What was that setting up? Yeah, why? Because Xavier needs this like really impressive like crazy display of power to match what mcnito did in this movie with the golden gate bridge it's so weird that they were like we want to have this big you know return of the king just won like 11 oscars like you know three years ago yeah we want this to be a trilogy capper so we need big stuff happening like mcnito losing his powers professor x dying but before the audiences to their cars throwing their popcorn away we're going to undo both of those things yeah god it is so weird to think that this was three years after Return of the King. Mm-hmm. It feels like such a Time. more dated movie. Yeah. God. Yes, it does. It, yeah. it really does. Yeah. I still like this movie. I enjoyed uh-huh. most of it while I was watching it. It's <laughs> The fun. final battle is boring. Yeah. yeah. It's very boring. Oh, yeah. God. Like, <laughs> the fight between Iceman and Pyro is not a fight at mm-hmm. all, even though the movie wants you to, like, buy in that there's going to be one and then there's not. When he ices <laughs> up. Like he goes that, full Iceman for yeah, the first Yeah, that was time. a big moment. Oh, and people were like, whoa. Yeah, except yeah. it's not. Like, yeah. Except it's not, right. It's a wet fart. Like, you shouldn't <laughs> yeah. have left. No. It's a lot of that. It's mm-hmm. a lot of that. This movie could have just been focused on the Cure stuff and been way, yeah. way better. The best because- thing that this movie does with Beast is his very opening shot of him hanging upside down reading. Mm-hmm. That's the best right. thing they do with Beast the whole movie. What did you think of his fight stuff in the final battle? Like his flipping around and animal roaring and stuff? I, I hated okay. it. It's a, really like, yeah. it's a little too much. It's a little too much because it wasn't done well. Like if the wire work wasn't shit, it could have been better. <laughs> it's not gymnastic enough. Yeah, it just, it all felt like wires. Uh, he felt Whoa. like a marionette. Like yeah. there were so many yeah. wires, he felt like a marionette. And then like Jean floating, you can tell that she's just standing on a green platform that's been painted in. Yeah. Because she's yeah. not moving at all. Her feet are totally stationary. Yeah. And she's just floating across the screen. Yeah. Yeah. And there's uh, nothing on her that moves in the way Magneto's costume moves to give you more of the illusion that he's actually going through the air here. Yeah. Solid performances from a lot of the cast, despite the the crap they've had to you know they're dealing with yeah we only revisit Elliot Page one more time right yeah in Days of Future Past yeah okay looking forward to that thanks Last Stand yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a crush that's been going fifteen years now yeah yeah there you go <laughs> uh, yeah I think like Hugh Jackman just owns Wolverine at this point yep and just yeah. watching that can be a lot of fun it's really hard to imagine anyone else playing Wolverine after all the movies he played Wolverine for I've been thinking about that Norman actually just like watching these again. 
being simultaneously like, wow, I can't wait to see what MCU does with these characters in this world. But yeah. also like that is going to be a real, oh, I'm going to die or like the passage of time. Yeah. When like yeah. another dude or person, because sometimes I'm like, bring on Laura. Yeah. Maybe do that. Yeah. You know? but yeah. When there's another Wolverine, that's going to be a weird moment. It yeah. Because be it's. It's Wolverine, Magneto, and Professor X that are like the three that, it, for me, it's really hard for me to imagine anybody else really being those three characters. Mm-hmm. Well, you've um, already had two other people playing well, Magneto that's, and Xavier. That's what's weird is like with Fossbender and McAvoy, they are both in a way playing right. that right. Eric and Charles. Yeah. But when right. it, when the MCU does it, if they do decide to do, it, it could be Magnus. It doesn't have to be those characters. Right. You know, right. that's true. Yeah, that is true. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, on thanks this. for being yeah. on. This was a lot of fun, Norman. Yeah. Like, I'm, I was happy to talk about this movie. I, it has lots of problems I'm well aware of. I still overall enjoy it. The, the Cure stuff mostly works for me. The Phoenix stuff has like two or three moments that work. And then everything else is like, why? why? Yeah. Why did we do this? Yeah. On its own, I think it's a pretty entertaining 2000 superhero movie first trilogy done we're, we're starting two new trilogies yeah simultaneously with so our next installment will be gavin hood's x-men origins wolverine yep yep and then we get into first class and then we roll from there or are you doing be... the rest of them in uh timeline order no but in order of like my release yeah in order yeah. of release or planned release in the case of new mutants we're ending with Dark Phoenix instead of New Mutants. Because ending on New Mutants feels weird. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm interested to see which one you like more, Scott. I am too, actually. That'll be interesting. I will be interested in finding that out. Listeners, I have not seen Dark Phoenix, so I don't know. I don't have an opinion of that movie. I've just heard horror stories. That's all I know. Norman, what you working on? Anything you want to plug? Other than still doing the hobbit on patreon stuff i haven't really yeah. been doing a whole lot pa- podcasting yeah. wise yeah. i'm still I, just kind of guesting on stuff i had a lot of fun i was i was i just recorded uh the part three of desolation of smaug mm-hmm. that is on our patreon duelinggenre.com slash support so if you become a, a patreon uh, supporter for franchiseography you get all of that hobbit stuff so yeah you, know. you can listen to me and Cass talk about the the hobbit movies one hour at a time one yeah. minute at a time i don't know if we would have survived no no. In fact, I, I specifically uh, told you guys you were not allowed to do that. No, not going to um, happen. <laughs> yeah. I, I put my foot down. Uh, you, 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 you set up a series of mental so prisons <laughs> yeah. and, and locks and parameters. Yeah, I locked, I locked the Hobbit one minute at a time out of their brains. Uh, one day, <laughs> How the fury will be unleashed. <laughs> uh, all right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Norman, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you guys next week with the first Wolverine movie. As if these other ones weren't Wolverine movies. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Bye, everybody. Mutant and proud. Bye.